Are you receiving us? <laughs> you better take a good look at us right now for Game Face episode 117 because you may never see this ever again. Yeah, we don't know what the TriCaster plans to do today either. Yeah, yeah it's become a finicky friend over the last couple weeks. Our apologies to uh, those of you who wanted to watch the video version of Game Face last week. Uh, right at the two-hour mark of the show, the file just, the whole thing just froze solid. Um, you couldn't even move the mouse on the TriCaster. Our monitor screen turned green. Uh, there was no way to, way to get the file back. I literally spent two days trying to get the file fixed. Uh, spent money on programs. Finally found one program that actually got the audio back. Uh, and that was the best we could do. So our apologies. I, I don't know what's up with our TriCaster. Uh, we did take it back to factory defaults this week and then update it. So we're hoping that that will solve the problem. And the stream starts late today because the stream key, ah, it's just been insane. Uh, but welcome to Game Face, episode 117, as I said, on Sifted Games at sifted.net. It's been a slow week, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, until we tried to get the TriCaster. Yeah, then going. suddenly it's a mad rush. But it's been a very, very, very slow week in video games. We are, like, this is one of the worst weeks to try to get a show together that I've ever experienced since we start, started the show. Yeah, not a whole lot happened. I did get uh, Radiant Historia perfect chronology, but I didn't have a chance to play it. Yeah, it's not getting great scores. No, uh, I like the original. Yeah, I think um, most people do. I, I don't know what the difference is here. Really. I haven't paid a ton of attention. I just sort of like, oh, I like that, ordered. Like, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, people people not digging it. Uh, we already talked about Kingdom Come last week, Yeah. which was kind of the big thing of this week. Uh, we already, well, because we do it on Friday, we actually yeah. discussed it last week. And we will get to it kind of here a little bit later on in the show. That said, there's nothing going on in the industry, but I think we have put together a pretty fun show for you guys. It may be a little shorter than usual. Uh, last week's actually ended up being like two hours long, or two hours and 15 minutes. Um, so, yeah. We're not going to just extend the show for no reason. We only make sure we do long shows when there's enough content to sustain a long show. So, uh, we'll see how long it lasts today. Hope you guys are having a great Friday. For some of you, you're already into your weekend. Hope you have a beer cracked. And you're going to kick up your feet and watch some Game Face. So, uh, one last thing I do want to talk about. This past week, we've not put up a ton of content. And that's because I'm working on some new shows. And uh, developing new shows takes a lot of time. Um, I think I've discovered that working through Patreon, what people really want more than anything on Patreon is consistent interaction from us, from Sifted. Um, we've, we've put up a lot of shows but I think they want more personal, more daily interaction. So I'm working on a show right now that I'm probably going to launch on Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to work all through the weekend on it as well. And just to give you kind of a hint, it's going to be a show driven by you guys. So it's going to be a call-in show where you guys can call in and we can talk about games. If you get any of you watch or listen to sports talk radio, it's going to be kind of like that, but for games. Um, we got You guys will be coming in through Skype. Uh, if you guys have a camera, you guys will be in the show. Your faces will be in the show. If not, we'll just have audio from you guys. Uh, but it's going to be a talk show that's primarily driven by our patrons and our users. And it's something that's really not been done before. Uh, the first couple episodes might be a little rocky as we figure out uh, the, uh, the technology and everything. Uh, but we have this TriCaster. A lot of people on Patreon don't have it. I feel like we haven't really utilized it to its full capabilities. And this show will really show off what it can do. So um, looking to launch it Monday or Tuesday. It will be live streamed and then archived. Uh, so look for alerts on that early next week. 
I just want to let you guys know why there wasn't a ton of content published this week. It's because I'm working on a show that I think will pay off over the long term, and it was worth it to uh, be a little light on content for a week. So hope you guys like it. I think most importantly, I hope you guys buy into it, because without you, there will be no show. If no one calls in and wants to talk on the show, uh, there will be no show. So I'm kind of counting on you guys to show up and uh, be a part of it. And of course, you'll be immortalized forever on the show, uh, and you guys will be a part of it, which is something I've kind of wanted to do on Sifted for a long time. It's, had, it's actually been an idea that I had since the day I bought the TriCaster. It's, um, aside from just discussion on topics, and I'll be very careful, we're not gonna bring up topics that are really big like we would talk about on Game Face, because uh, we wanna make sure Game Face straight, stays as a flagship show. Um, but another part of it will be, I'll be kind of a video game VJ in a way. Uh, we'll be loading lots of media into the TriCaster, um, and I'll be acting kind of as a DJ and sending out media of stuff that really kind of caught my eye for that day or stuff that I think you guys should keep an eye on yourself. So what are you going to call it? I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it's called yet. I think it's called SFTD Raps. <laughs> that's not it, but no. that's a pretty good name. <laughs> uh, so anyway, look for that early next week. I hope you guys like it and I hope that you guys will participate. I'd love to get you guys more involved. Um, you know, one of the things we did to try to get our users involved was... Head gamers ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm, not... just, I'm just going with late night MTV <laughs> shows from the 80s. At this yeah. Point. Uh, you know, when we launched our Patreon, we wanted to get more people involved, but people are really resistant to to being on the show, on Game Face, mm-hmm. or even doing Beat Shane. Like a lot of people are like, I just wanted to give you that amount of money. I don't really want to like be on camera. Um, the same thing has happened with our Game Face guest reward. Uh, we've only had what two or three people yeah. so far, and. Uh, Everyone else like turns it down. So a lot of people are just contributing at that level because mm. they want to and aren't interested in being a part of the content. I'm hoping that will change with this new show that we're working on. So anyway, with that, let's get on with Game Face 117. Our first topic of the week, uh, Crash Bandicoot, the Insane Trilogy, uh, I think was beyond anyone's esti- estimation of how well it was going to do. It just shattered it. Mm-hmm. One of the best-selling games of 2017 completely blew my mind because I didn't even really like the first Crash games. But now Activision is starting to get smart, and it's like, hey. Hey, we don't make games really anymore, except for like two of them, so why don't we start repurposing these old things? Yeah, and the last one made them oodles of money. And if you listen to any of the the calls when they reported their financials, they brought it up like over and Mm -hmm. over again. Crash, we can't believe what Crash did. Um, And so now rumors are swirling that the next target is Spyro. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say about Spyro versus Crash Bandicoot is that Spyro was a pretty great game. Yeah, Spyro, the Spyro already. games are much better than the Crash games, right. I think. But the thing about the Crash games that, that kind of makes me wonder if this will be as successful is that people knew the Crash games could be improved. Right. And aside from graphics, there was a ton of things that they could have done with those uh, remasters, or I guess those are remakes, actually. Yeah, they're re- yeah, they ground up remakes, yeah. really. And, uh... So I think people thought, oh my gosh, you know, Crash wasn't a great game when it first came out. It seemed like it was, but in hindsight, it really wasn't. I wonder if the interest is going to be the same for Spyro, because I don't see them changing Spyro as much as a changed Crash. No, but I, I feel like they don't really need to. And you're kind of at the advantage of, like, I think there is a fairly large Spyro fan base out there to be served in the same way there was a Crash fan base. Yeah. Uh, maybe larger than we think, judging by the reaction to Crash. Um, and, like, Spyro has been basically gone for years. I mean, Skylanders, but that's not the same thing. Um, I feel like, I feel like there's some, there might be uh, an audience for this. I, I would be interested. I like the, I never played Spyro 3, but I liked 1 and 2. 
I don't doubt that there's going to be an audience for this at all. Like, I know there will be. But I think what I'm saying is I'm comparing it to how Crash mm -hmm. did. I mean, Crash was one of the best-selling games of last year, period. I wouldn't expect that out of Spyro, but you never know. I wouldn't have expected it out of Crash either. I think Crash has some uh, some kind of cult cachet <laughs> because it was you know he was kind of a the for PlayStation, PlayStation fans, mascot certainly. for yeah. a while. He had those ads where he was yelling at Nintendo's headquarters through a megaphone. Like he's you know he's got some uh, he's got some personality and some uh, recognizability that extends beyond the games themselves. And that is one thing I would say about Spyro. He's not the best mascot, really. No. They tried. Um, I think at one point, didn't like Elijah Wood voice him at one point? Yeah, he absolutely like, did, yeah. Because um, yeah, there was that, that period where they tried to make him kind of darker and edgier or something. <laughs> like, oh, that was dumb. But, it um, was dumb. Well, then he kind of took over the Skylanders franchise at first. Like, the first Skylanders was actually had his name in yeah, the title. Yeah, Spyro's Adventures, it yeah. was called. And then they slowly phased him out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, sure. Like... <laughs> Like, I, I'm not against this one. Not, certainly not the way I was like, oh, I'm never going to touch the Crash games again. Right, yeah, and but I like, never, I still haven't played Insane Trilogy, <laughs> despite no. how well it sold and the major changes that well, they not, made to it's it. It's not for me. I was, I was, I was too old to, to like them to begin with, really, and I yeah. always hated the walking, I mean, to me, the the Crash cameo in Uncharted 4 is just like driving home. It's like, oh yeah, this sucked. Like, walk, running towards something and jumping over stuff is annoying. Yeah, trying to platform and you can't see what's coming. Yeah. yeah good times. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I would say about this is when I was getting footage and capturing footage for this game was I was shocked at how far advanced this game was. Yeah. Because... Well, it was Insomniac, right? Yeah. yeah. And the real-time facial... I mean, look at yeah. Spyro right there. For, the, for this time... That real-time facial animation yeah. there is no freaking joke. Like, you can see kind of the roots of, of Ratchet in there. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, there were, you know, Insomniac was doing stuff with this franchise way back when, in the mid to late 90s, yep. that a lot of games didn't do in real-time for quite a while. So, I feel like these remasters, these remakes, are starting off at a much better ground zero, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder if the 3D platformers kind of dead at this point i mean obviously super mario gal or galaxy super mario odyssey has done great mm -hmm. um but you see what happened with with uh ukulele and how poorly that game did yeah, and at the same time like ukulele doesn't have the same nostalgia pull like that what had none in the sense that i mean it did for like the banjo fans but you had to be a banjo fan and you had to re recognize what it was right on top of that and with this it's like i mean i think when I was, you know, I remember back in the, back in when this was new, like, I had, you know, knew some people who had kids, and, like, this is all they played. They yeah. loved Spyro. So I think, I think there's, there's a generation that might, you know, see Spyro, and maybe they haven't thought of uh, games in a while, but they might remember this and jump back in. So I think a lot of people did that with Crash. And maybe another angle. Also, I think if you, if you update, the, if you remake this in the same way they remade Crash in terms of, like, graphically rebuilding, I mean, this could be gorgeous. It absolutely could. Like, it could the, be absolutely The world stunning. this takes place in could be really amazing. Maybe the other angle to look at too for the success of of this would be that crash doesn't i don't think crash really appeals to kids all that much and the mm. crash games are hard and the the yeah. remake the insane trilogy was really freaking hard and so i wonder if this might appeal to kids more and be able to playable for yeah, kids more maybe that opens up the market a little bit more i would than definitely put this did. in the hands of like a modern kid more than i would crash yeah that's a good point and as you said i think the character itself is more palatable to younger players yeah. as well. So uh, maybe that oak, that cracks open a part of the market that Crash didn't get to. 
But hey, I mean, if, it, if this sells as well as the Insane Trilogy, I think they'll yeah. be very, very happy. I mean, if it sells half as much as the Insane yeah. Trilogy, I think they'll be happy. <laughs> like, it's it's almost free money. You know, it's it, these games that you have, you've had in your back catalog for 20 years, you, you know, put down, put down some money to get, to get the remakes done, and there you go. I mean, Activision doesn't have a huge amount of output these days. So. Not hardly. It doesn't need it, though, either. No. It owns Blizzard. That's the best purchase ever made, that merger, man. Activision Blizzard. Now Activision can just put it on autopilot and just reap all those benefits of Blizzard's amazing work. So I'm pretty excited for this. Um, I did not play all the Crash games on PlayStation 1. I played the first two, I believe. Played the first two. Yeah, I played... And kind of fell yeah, off. I didn't play the third one. I didn't play the third one. I... I... I tend to lose out on the third ones in a lot of those classic series. I, I didn't play the third Crash. I didn't play the third uh, Spyro. I didn't play the third uh, Ratchet for a while. Uh, I didn't play the third Sly for a long time. Like I, the third one, I didn't play God of War three. I kind of left <laughs> what off. What is on. it with the... like? I don't know what. The, like three seems to be the magic. I didn't. It's the opposite of third times the charm yeah, for you. I, I didn't play through uh, get through the whole campaign of God, Gears of War three. Like it's just. <laughs> Three well, is too also, many, apparently. Well, I think also the third installment of a series is generally where... It can it can be wearing on they you. Start, well, I think it can wear on you, but I also feel like a lot of times the studios start to run out of ideas. Yeah. Because the first game is the proof of concept. The second game is generally where you nail all those mm -hmm. concepts and then put in all the extra stuff that didn't make it into the first game. And then the third game typically is... Third game's kind of like, oh, we got to do it again. Yeah. Kind of and yeah. I think that kind of holds strong across most franchises. So... Uh, I don't think you're all that out of the ordinary. Maybe you're the smart one for avoiding the third installments of, of most games. But uh, no word on release date yet. I think, the, I think the rumors were by the end of the year. I would think, yeah, this seems like a good fall sort of family release. And then they said one-year exclusivity on PS4, and then it'll be available for the others, which means we'll be getting Crash and Saint Trilogy on all the other platforms here very soon. Yeah. So. Um, Activision will love that. Now Activision will put that out and make all that money off of that. Then it'll yep. make the money off Spyro for PS4, and then the cycle repeats. So um, the good news is they're not doing these one by one typically. They're putting mm -hmm. all three of the games on one disc. Yeah. And if like, discs even exist anymore. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that the, phrase may have to be retired soon. It's going to be interesting. And like comparing it to something like, uh, like the Mega Man X collection that's coming up, which still seems oddly nebulous. It does, yeah. Like we know there's two of them. Yeah. But we don't know which games are on what. And like I've seen I'm people, excited, though, for that. Yeah, I like the X games. But like people are like, I mean, you know, the logical division would be X1 through 4 on the first one and X5 through 8 on the other one. But yeah. there's a lot of Mega Man fans that say, like, no one's going to buy the second one because no one cares about 5 through 8. Yeah, um, which is fair. Then, and some people are like, oh, it's going to be like one, 1 through 6 on one and then like 7, 8 and like command mission and all these. I'm like, I, don't, I think you're overestimating Capcom. You think they're going to give you extra games out of the main series. Yeah. Um, but they've been very, you know, very strangely vague about what they're doing with that collection. Yep. Which but is, which, I don't know, it's Capcom. Activision they're, they're has busy. found a way to milk yeah. these old IPs. But it's going to be interesting to see them kind of like, to compare like how Capcom handles that versus like how Activision, who is usually not considered the consumer friendly company, kind of giving you more value. <laughs> Far there. from it, yeah. Um, so I'm excited for it. Sounds like Matt's pretty excited for it. Yeah. Um, be something good to play at the end of the year. Although I have a feeling that'll be one of my backlog games that I end up playing in January. Yeah, I'm not going to jump on that for, oh, I got to get this done before the game of the year show kind of thing. You know, it's... Or looking at it where I'm sitting right now in February. Right. Maybe February will be the month for that next year. 
this is a really, really dry month for games. So a bit of a doldrum. Yeah, we haven't really had that in a long time. It has been quite a while. Yeah, I mean maybe like the first year of Game Face, mm -hmm. like late twenty or mid twenty fifteen, maybe. Yeah, that's where it got a little bone dry, but not like this. It's a drought in the winter. So. Let's move on. We're going to talk next about something Matt was not as enthused about as I was when it was first announced, Nintendo Labo. Mm -hmm. um, I liked it right out of the gate. You were far more skeptical over it than I than I was. Yeah. Although I should say skeptical in terms of whether, well, my interest in it. I'm like, yeah. I, th I think it's going to sell like crazy. Okay. Um, well, this week, Nintendo unveiled a ton of new details and information on both the variety pack and what's it called? The Toy-Con robot the kit robot, or something? Robot kit or something like that, yeah. Yep. And... Uh, Matt, did you get a chance to watch this stuff? Yeah, I watched them. So my question to you is, are you more interested now that you've seen a lot more on it? No. You're not? Not as something I would play, no. Really? Like, I, I, I think it's interesting. Like, I can see why, like, you'd get it if you had, like, a young kid that liked this kind of crafty stuff. Uh, and it's interesting to see, like, how... Like, you start to see why the Joy-Cons cost 80 bucks. Yeah. You know, they've got, like, the, the rumble is very detailed, and they've got the little camera that the little, like, remote the control thing can see in the yeah. dark with it. And so, uh -huh. like, you know, it, it, may, it makes a few things about the system make a little more sense. Um, I still think it's going to break the instant. Like, I mean, the fishing rod really looks like you're, you're begging somebody to pull their switch off the ground and <laughs> it Yeah, in the no, you're right. So, um, but all the weird little things, like the house thing is more complex than I expected it to be. Like the, the, I still think the motorcycle thing looks dumb, but I like the way you build the courses in the editor where you just, yeah. you just move the, the, the bike around or you move, like you can do whatever you, it's all very motion sensitive, I guess. And, and, uh, I don't know how well that'll work, but it's a nice trick. Uh, and putting all the different screws in the house thing and then put them on different sides of the house and they do different things. Like, I mean, it, it looks like another, it's like a mini game collection of a bunch of little toys you can play with. And like, that's cool. Like I'm, it's not for me, but like it's a, it's at least, it at least looks a little more like you're getting your 80 bucks worth or 70 bucks worth in, in a little more substantial way there. The robot thing is is neat. Like I think the, so here, I think the robot thing is absolutely idiotic. Yeah, but it'd be neat <laughs> if I was eight. Like, the problem to me is that the game that you actually play with it looks absolutely terrible. Yeah, well, you know what it looks like is it looks like the Godzilla game on Dreamcast. Yeah. Where you it's, just destroy so we a thought city. at first maybe it was uh, Miyamoto reviving mm -hmm. Project Giant Robot. No, that, that's not what it is at all. It's basically just a game where you just walk around and smash stuff. Yeah. And there's like a high score thing um, yeah. with it. It's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of what I expected, I guess. Like, it's, it's, I mean, it all looks pretty much like what I expected. It's just sort of mindless toy things, and like there's a little crafty aspect to it, and like you, you, it's stuff you'll play with for like 15 minutes, and then you'll never look at it again. You know, if, if you're an adult, I think a kid could get more into it. If I was eight years old, that robot thing would be on my wish list immediately. I'm just actually because I like robots. You know. Yeah, I'm actually pretty shocked at how robust it is. Um, that's the impression that I got after watching this new media from Nintendo Labo. Is mm -hmm. I. My expectations were really were low as far as what actual what kind of digital interaction would there be with mm -hmm. the cardboard toys, and I'm just shocked that Nintendo has gone so far to create these software experiences that work with the peripherals. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right, a lot of them probably you mess around with them a couple times, you never touch them again. But a couple of them look like they're actually kind of like games, like the motorcycle game looks like, excite like the new Excite Bike. Yeah, the motorcycle game looks like probably the most legit. 
game thing. Right, like something there. I might actually just yeah. play with the Joy-Con without like, even the Labo stuff. Like I'm I'm impressed by like the way you can like cut out like waveforms, stick them in the piano and it'll generate sound yeah. to use. I mean there's a lot of neat little tricks it's doing. Yeah, there's I mean the creativity, I mean this is what Nintendo's best at, right? This mm-hmm. is what Nintendo does. It has a piece of hardware and it makes the most out of but it. But I I just the the durability of this stuff is like my big question still. Even even to the point where like in the video they when they say like that you got a fish on the line, like carefully reel right. it in. It's like yeah, yeah cuz like if you get into this stuff like I and like the way the and they're kids, the kids yeah, will absolutely right. get. And into the way it. you've got like the the motorcycle thing, you're supposed to like just rest it against your stomach and yeah. like man, if you get too into that, you're going to bend it in half yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's uh it's weird but i like uh, and actually the fish thing i thought was appealing because i like fish it looks stuff. cool i like fish stuff because like oh you catch them you put them in the aquarium and you can make your own fish and i'm like that's cool like yeah the, i feel like nintendo has done an amazing job coming up with compelling ideas for how to use this thing mm-hmm. like there's no way this was just they just begun developing this like in the no, last this was always year. in the car. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this was kind of developed alongside the development of the system itself. Like, and I wouldn't is... be surprised if this was supposed to be available at launch either. And they're like, this is one of our mm-hmm. big killer apps, our unique selling proposition. I think it's good that it wasn't. Yeah, I, I think it would have muddied it, the waters yeah, for what Switch and it, is. It, it, yeah. yeah, it would have been. I think it would have repelled some people that were already Core skeptical. Core gamers would have said, no way, Jose, yeah. absolutely. But this, I think, when you're... People that are already on board with the Switch, they have a Switch, they played Zelda, they played Mario, they've gotten their hardcore gaming kind of fix out of it already, and, like, now this just seems like frosting. Yeah. Um, I'm really impressed with it. Uh, the, the one thing I would say about the fishing stuff is, if you're standing up and you've got that little Switch screen laying on the floor... How can you actually yeah. see? Like, I don't the think you're fish. supposed to. I think you're supposed to sit there. Oh, really? I think you're supposed to sit in front of it. Yeah. Because a lot of the videos it shows people standing up fishing while they're. Yeah, playing. well, I think that's similar to like the the footage. Look of at the, that, though. I mean, the way they've incorporated. I think it's similar to the footage of the guy playing Metroid Prime Three and hiding behind his couch. Like it's just like <laughs> not. Nah, it's. Yeah. It's just there for dramatic purposes, you know. But uh, I, look, I'm. Are you more excited or less excited for this after you've seen this stuff? I mean. Uh, same basically. really I, mean, I don't care about the, i'm not gonna buy this i'm not gonna play this like this is not for me uh i still think it's gonna be a big hit and you know it's gonna be a great parent kid thing it's uh, a smart way to kind of branch the switch brand out in a direction that it hasn't been that it at nintendo was successful somewhat with with you know previous things um it's it's clever in that it's made out of such cheap materials that you don't have to charge like you know guitar hero prices for your accessories yeah. like um there's there's you know i like that there's the things where i can recognize the shapes and recognize things that you can just cut out of normal paper so you don't have to continually buy nintendo right. branded products or whatever yeah. um there's a lot of smart things going on here and uh and like as far as as far as the product it wants to be i think it's probably the best example i've seen of it uh, it's just not something I'm going to spend my time on. I will absolutely buy the variety pack. I'm excited for the variety pack because I figure even if you get limited time out of each one, there's so many different things that you mm. can do with it that I think ultimately you're going to get your money's worth. You right. can see that crank there. See how yeah. How I mean, it looks? at best, I would buy it and play it to be able to talk about it, and then I'd give it to somebody with kids. The robot thing? No way. Uh, there's no way I'm buying that. See, the that... robot thing would be the thing I'd be more likely to buy. Really? But the, the thing is, like, the way that works with all the cords, is that going to fit on me? Maybe, I don't maybe think not. It, I don't think it's meant for a six-foot human. <laughs> like, the, and I, I just think I'm, I'm going to punch once and just, just, just all going to snap apart. It's, it's all going to rip apart. It's possible, you know? yeah. Like, like I said, it's not for me. It's it just not, doesn't it's like, look like literally not me. built for me. Right, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just don't think that looks like any fun to me. It's I like, like to robots. Me, I like things yeah. that turn into tanks. You know, like I, I, that's the thing that is more appealing to my general interest outside of what I would care about making things out of cardboard with. Uh, if I was eight, I'd already have that, you know, on my pre-order list or whatever. But like, I'm not, and I don't care. Like, like it's just, it's. But I think. Uh, it doesn't seem like quite as much of a ripoff at the price, 70 bucks for the variety pack. Yeah. The robot pack, maybe, for 80 is a little Yeah, that seems much. ridiculous Obviously, there's, a little, there's more mechanical stuff in that, and, like, I at least it answered a little bit my questions, where you've got the plastic, like, like kind of the plastic hole, like, like uh, things you, you put into the holes on the cardboard, and that's what the, the strings go through. Because originally, I was like, that's going to wear down the cardboard real fast, but, yeah. like, they've kind of thought of that, and there's some interesting mechanical things happening there. I'm wondering, too, if Nintendo eventually expands this product line to a place where you need, like, eight Joy-Cons. And they turn yeah. it into this thing where they can convince people to buy more Joy-Cons and make more money that way. The selling accessories is the point of this system. That's I mean, what I've said. just by the looks of what they've shown so far, just having two Joy-Cons seems like it's not going to be enough. Uh, it looks like the base stuff is going to be, like, two is enough. But, like, if you want to do, obviously, like, robot battles or or, yeah. uh, or the little, like, remote control kind of robot war things, like, obviously you're going to need more. Um, I, I think yeah, overall, my, I to close, I would just say it's far more robust than I thought it was going to be after I saw yeah. the first look at and it. And it's, it's more robust than it probably needed to be. That's a pretty neat thing where you use the, the Joy-Con as, like, an acoustic, like, Yeah, speaker like a speaker. Thing. I mean... It's the Nintendo just is crazy, dude. They do the craziest mm -hmm. stuff. And somehow it mostly works. I mean, you can think back to stuff like Wii Music where it was a total disaster. Yeah, although I noticed that like Miyamoto's going to make Wii Music happen if it kills him because you've, you've actually got a baton uh -huh. wand that you're going to conduct the orchestra on this one, too. It's like, okay, okay, sneak it in there. That's fine. This is cool. The rhythm card thing is cool. And the, the, but we but but you do realize that you you've said like six times this is cool. Yeah, but I'm thinking of it for the from the perspective of like the audience for yeah. it. Like I, I'm not the audience for this, and I don't care to spend seventy dollars on it. But like, there's a lot of neat little tricks happening there, and uh, certainly something only the Switch can do. Oh yeah, no other yeah. system can do what this is doing, and it does kind of. It does kind of, at least for me personally, it opens my mind to more possibilities with the system that I never even could comprehend before. Well, I mean, they, they kind of hinted at some of it in the initial announcement where uh, the video the where, Japan they, they, event. where they really put, yeah, where they pushed the, the HD rumble thing, and I, but they yeah. didn't really have any examples of what it was ex or why we should care. Because we were like, for, why like, are what? they concentrating so hard yeah. on the Joy-Con? We couldn't figure it out. We're like, yeah. what? why? Because like, the only it. thing they really had to demonstrate it was one, two, switch, and right. it was like, no one gives a shit about yeah, that, yeah. and like... Now we're starting yeah. to see the master plan unfold. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be like the mainstream, you know, changeover they hope it might be, or, or if they even do hope it'll be that. But like, um, at least introducing a new way to play with these things uh, helps justify the obscene price they've slapped on the Joy-Cons. Yeah. Like, you can kind of see like, okay, so there's actually a lot of tech. In, but that also reinforces my thing of like, I would like it if there were like $20 versions of the Joy-Cons that don't have all this extra stuff in them, and they're just controllers. Before I move on, I'll ask you one last thing. Would you like to see some of this functionality we're seeing in Nintendo Labo brought over to more traditional games? No. No. I want to play video games. I want to play with cardboard. I kind like, of expected that answer. But. Yeah. I mean, we went over this with Metroid Prime 4 already. Yeah. Like, put all that stuff in there as much as you want, but don't make me use it. Like, I want to play a video game. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to LARP Samus. I don't want to... 
build her ship. Maybe I want to build her ship out of cardboard, but I don't want to have to <laughs> move it around to fly somewhere. Right, or, right. You know, like, what about, though, when you start thinking about some of the stuff that Kojima did with the original Metal, Metal Gear Solid and some of the cool stuff that he did with just unplugging controller ports and kind of breaking that fourth wall mm-hmm. and doing things differently in that way? Would you be down with something like that? Because eh. think about the possibilities for stuff like that. Like, what if you could, like, take the Joy-Con and put it on a box like we saw there or take your extra Joy-Con and put it on a box and suddenly you're getting, like, signals from, like, another character in the game or you're getting tips or hints. I mean, there's just... It just seems like there's a vast array of things that could be done with the tech. Yeah, I'm just not... Like, don't break my immersion that much. Like, I don't... Like, if, like, 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 like I get what you're saying. Like, oh, the Joy-Con could be, like, your little... Like, you know, your... your uh, uh, I forgot the name of the damn uh, communicator device in Metal For Gear. What? Oh, um... Oh, Kodak. It could be your yeah. could be your Kodak or whatever. Yeah. But it's like you know what that makes me do? Look away from the screen and look at my desk. Yeah. And like to be like, oh, this is my controller, my desk. Hi, Snake. You know, it's like I, that 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 doesn't do anything for me. I don't. I also don't like the thing in Metal Gear where they make me look at the back of the freaking CD case to find out what Merrill's frequency is. Right. Um, which, by the way, I, the one thing I do like about that is in the post disc era where people are buying that game digitally confuses the hell out of everyone. I mean, they're like, what? what? Look at the back of what? Like, what are they talking about? I'm like, you would think that they where do I find the CD case? And people are like, no, nah, it's just, it's this, this here, it's yeah. this, you know? <laughs> you think it confused us out. then. Like, yeah. and, and now you have no, it doesn't come with a CD case. So you're just like, you, you assume there's a CD case in the yeah, game somewhere yeah. you haven't found yet. Right. Um, like, I don't mind stuff like the thing, like, where Psycho Mantis, like, makes you, like, reads your memory card and is like, oh, you like Suikoden, don't you? Yeah. It's like, okay, great, that's neat, I get that. But, like, I always resented the fact that it wanted me to get up and change the controllers around. Yeah. It's like, it's like a neat trick, but it's like, I wouldn't it's want to do that all the time, yeah. you know? And You do wonder, though, a game like, um, if they were ever to do, and the rumors have been swirling that this might happen, is another Eternal Darkness. Mm-hmm. When you have hardware like this, like, what kind of things could you do with a game like that? Like, Yeah, it'd be interesting, like, um, I guess it'd be interesting to do something where, like, uh, you have, um, I don't know, like, maybe, you, like, with that, that box speaker thing, you, like, you, you, you set up your, your two Joy-Cons somewhere in the room, and it kind of does, like, a surround sound sort of thing for the jump scares or something. I don't know, I guess that's a very vague pitch. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, you could make a kind of a room sound experience thing using that. And what if they started releasing Labo peripherals with their traditional games? So, say... They did do another Eternal Darkness. And Eternal Darkness came with this little thing that you snap your Joy-Con into and you set it on a table. And maybe it acts like a Ouija board or something. Like, mm-hmm. the possibilities for this could be insane if Nintendo really pushes it and developers jump on board with it. But I think what we've seen with Nintendo hardware in the past, well, I think developers do not, in fact, jump on board with right. it. Well, I also think, like, this thing here, like, I think you're going to see this, that's going to be the new Mario Music Maker thing. Oh. You know, like, we're, you know, because you remember, people made tons of crazy stuff with Mario Music, and then they did the same thing with Mario Maker. Yep. Where they, uh, where people played songs with the auto-scrolling levels and all that stuff. I think, you know, you're going to see a whole, every video game song you can think of, there's going to be a version of that you can see on YouTube from the labo piano i'm sure and then they'll put up templates on websites mm-hmm. and things like that so you can punch them out and put them in and make your your labo piano exactly yeah uh, the possibilities of, are pretty impressive all part we'll of see, the plan we'll see how it all plays out ultimately yeah. but uh i'm impressed with nintendo labo i think it's a great idea i think it's going to make a lot of money for nintendo 
I get the people who are like, oh, well, that means they're working on something. They could be making a game for me that I would like. See, I don't agree I can with that. I kind of understand it, but I really don't think that the team that's working on no. Nintendo Labo would be making Metroid Prime just, 4, for no, example. No, I just don't believe for one second that the resources and time and manpower that were put towards Labo were ever going to be anything but this. Like this, this or is, would or were detrimental right. overall to there's no way other software development. This, this was this was in parallel with the other games. It was not in replacement for anything. I yeah, don't, this I don't isn't like that. the Metroid guys at Nintendo right. being like, like this, we're not going to work on Prime Four. We'll we, give it to Bandai Namco. We're yeah, we work did, on this. we didn't miss out on like a new Kid Icarus because they yeah. made this. Like that's I think that's ridiculous. Like yeah. like Nintendo has plenty of money and plenty of bandwidth to do all this at, one, at the same time. It certainly has enough money. Yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And we wanted them. To be doing more and like here's something here's more of I whether mean, you want it or not or you i mean it doesn't, it's not the same thing as to say like you know oh they would, could have been working on it i mean they only release about one big thing per quarter yeah you know and this is their big thing for for q2 yeah and it's gonna be big yeah <laughs> it's gonna be a good quarter for nintendo all right let's move on other rumors swirling this week matt and this is a big 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 one mm. um, although it's one i predicted yeah it is absolutely uh so a small website and i do want to before we start talking about this mm. i do want to say that the source of this information is a really small website yeah and so take any of this discussion with a grain of salt this is not dot in the wool truth mm-hmm. but i think it still makes for an interesting conversation and also don't forget how long corporate decision making can take exactly you know? like this maybe this is true but you might not see a result of it for five years yep you know like the, and, and so the rumor you should tell them what the rumor is slow. so the rumor is that disney slash lucas has gone to yeah. ea and said it's not happy with mm-hmm. the arrangement of making of ea making star wars games and it has started discussing the prospect of creating star wars games with ubisoft and activision mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of things here that that would have to happen for that to ever happen uh, the first would be that they'd have to void their contract with ea yes, which i'm sure lucasfilm has the right to do because i don't think they would sign a contract without an escape clause but do you think e that's tough though because if you look at it from ea's perspective would you sign the contract if disney or yeah. lucas had an easy out yes because you think because about- it's star wars and because you're ea and you think you're good at it yeah, but you also got to think about the investment. I mean, they've already dumped how many... I mean, you're right, but uh, all I'm saying here is it's Star Wars. They they can tell you... They, I guarantee you Lucasfilm dictated the terms on this. Also because Lucasfilm, that's just what they do. Well, like, it, it also is holding all the cards. Right. I mean... Like, it's like, do you... I mean, because I bet all they'd have to say is like, well, if you don't want to sign this, I bet Ubisoft would. Yeah. And, and I'm like, sure that was a part of the negotiations. Yeah, and I don't... And also, like, I think EA was arrogant enough to not think this is what was going to happen. You know, do you, th- do you think EA, when they signed that deal, thought, like, we're only going to get two games out in the first five years of the 10-year deal, and they're going to be the same game? Yeah. And the second one is going to have, like, a, a PR problem with the core demographic because of the loot box decision we make? Like, it's, like there's no way... EA had to be looking forward, like, look at all the cool stuff we're going to make and how much money we're going to make, not like, oh, we're going to have all this trouble getting this done, and then Amy Hennig's going to have trouble with the concept we want her to make, and this is... and she no, I'm, uh, like, There's no way EA could have predicted like anything like this was ever going to happen. Because EA is used to being successful. So yeah. I, I would say, like, I, if I were EA and I looked at that and I wanted that Star Wars license, I'd be like, sure, we'll sign the thing that says, why would Lucasfilm ever want to get out of the contract? We're, we're going to be awesome. You know, like that, I think that is a very realistic uh, in, like assumption about maybe how that would have gone. I think the flip side of that, though, is with 
Disney or Lucas going to Ubisoft or Activision and trying to bail out of that deal to start working with a different publisher, you're kind of hitting the reset button. Yeah. Because all the work that EA has been doing and building these studios and going through all these checks and balances with Disney and Lucas, that process has to start all over again. Ubisoft would need to drop projects that some of its studios are working on so they could start working Mm -hmm. on Star Wars or it would need to acquire or build additional studios. Well, that's why I'm th- thinking, like what I said before, about you know these things can take a long time. Um, they might well be making these overtures, if they are, in fact, doing it. If they might be making these overtures to Activision and Ubisoft in preparation for years down the line. Like they might be, you know, the, the, the deal might end up being like, okay, we're going, we're moving to Ubisoft after this, but EA is still going to put out the Motive game and the, the, the Respawn game and the, the Vancouver game. And then once those are all done and out, in the meantime, they're building up that infrastructure with the new company they're going to work with and they can kind of go from there. So what you're saying is that we might still Disney not see would this honor happen. the deal with EA. Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm Lucasfilm controls Star Wars. Disney has no say over Star Wars. So Lucas would honor the deal it's made with EA, and now it's just greasing the wheels for the end of the 10-year period where it would move and start working with someone else. I think that's possible. If this is indeed true, I think that's possible, and it would also be very in character for Lucasfilm. In character? Yeah, to look ahead and just be like, all right, this is what we're doing. And if you don't like it, screw you. We're Star Wars. You know, like, like they, like you said, they hold all the cards. If they want to start looking at, you know, at a new, at a new business partner down the line, they can. And who's gonna, you know, what's EA gonna do? It's like, no, we, we refuse to make any more Star Wars games. If you're gonna do it that way, no, EA wants that money. Let's look at it again from the perspective of a Ubisoft or an Activision. There's been a lot of talk after the Last Jedi that the Star Wars license is beginning to become a little diluted. That because there's a movie coming every year now, and everyone knows there's going to be a movie every year, that people are slowly starting to lose their interest in it a little bit. Yeah, but that's Does that wrong. play into your decision-making it at all? It... No, because it's wrong. You think so? Of course it's wrong. It's ridiculous. It's just people who didn't like Last Jedi trying to tear down the brand for no reason. Look, Black Panther is a giant phenomenon right now. It is the number four pre-selling t- pre- ticket pre-seller in history. The three movies it's behind are The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, and Rogue One. Right. Like... Star Wars is bigger than it's ever been. It's gigantic. Do you think it's not doing well in China, but that's the only place you can really target. But, but we'll see what Solo does. Do you think maybe we're seeing the first signs, though, that it's starting to soften a little bit? No. No? Well, I'll tell you after Solo's box office. I mean, I'll, you know... Because that is... Solo looked good to me, but... Yeah, I was at a Super Solo Bowl party. Is, Solo is the first Star Wars movie I just look at, and I'm like, I don't care about this story. I don't need to be told this story, and that guy doesn't look like Harrison Ford. He doesn't. Uh, in I, fact, I would rather see a movie about Lando. Because the only that. thing in that trailer... More interest, the only thing yeah. in that trailer that made me go, ah, was, that's Lando. Yeah, like, yeah. I know that's Lando, because <laughs> no one else would wear that coat. Yeah. And, like, so I'm into that, but, like, I, I have a lot of... We could go for an hour on why I'm skeptical about Solo. Um, so, but look at Solo's box office. I mean, look, Rogue One didn't do as well as Last Jedi and Force Awakens because I think the episode title matters. Yeah, you know, those characters, does. Those characters matter more to people than sort of this weird little, like, heist picture. Yeah. I like Rogue One, but it's not... I, you know. I like it a lot. I thought it was um, great, but... But, so we'll see what Solo does, um, and then we'll see what Episode Nine does. You know, if, if Last Jedi really did poison the brand by being the one of the top grossing films of the entire year worldwide... Uh, we'll see if Episode Nine doesn't recover from it. Because if you're Activision or Ubisoft, you're thinking five years down the road. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're Activision and Ubisoft, you're also thinking, you know what? Forget the current movies. Forget the new movies. Forget all that stuff. 
you know, I mean, sure, you have to serve that master when you're working for Lucasfilm. EA's run into that plenty. You know, they have, you, have, you can't, you know, they had all their rules on the first Battlefront, no prequel stuff. It has to be in this, you know, you can't cross over eras. That's obviously gone in Battlefront 2 because you have Darth Maul running around on the Force Awakens map or whatever. But, um, so you got to serve that master, sure. But, like, one of the things you have to think when you look at what EA has done so far is, like, why, where is the exploitation of this license in terms of the cachet it holds in gaming terms going back 20, 20 25 right. years. Yeah, like, right. like Ubi, if I'm Ubisoft, I'm just like, all right, we'll do what the, the tie-in stuff you want, but we're also going to make an open-world Jedi game. We're going to make an X-Wing TIE Fighter sim based on our you know, all those heroes. But isn't that what to EA do. told Lucas? Yeah, but, but Ubisoft <laughs> gets that shit done, right? Yeah. Activision could potentially... I mean, I don't know what Activision would do in that scenario. Like, Activision would have to kind of... I don't know. Like Activision doesn't have the developers to do that. I guess they'd have to form teams or hire people or like maybe let High Moon Studios make a freaking game again for the first time since Fall of Cybertron. Uh, I would love to see High Moon Studios get a shot at a Star Wars game. That'd be awesome. Um, so I don't know. In terms of Activision, I don't know what kind of spin-up that would require. In terms of Ubisoft, it feels like that'd be the safest pick you could ever do. And you're and Ubisoft's already making the Avatar game, so you've kind of got like that Disney connection there already. Right. Um, so and you think Ubisoft's a better? If I were Lucasfilm, better shopping my shopping my stuff around, and I decided I didn't want to fix the EA situation, which is again, I think the easier choice is to fix the EA problem. Yeah, um, but how do you fix it? That's a good question. <laughs> you um, can't like force EA to. No, you can't, and you also can't force EA to stop screwing up. Right, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and um, and we we don't know anything about the internal strife that was about the the canceled Amy Hennig game, and we don't know the Visceral Games thing, and we don't, you know, but Lucasfilm does, and if maybe if they see that's too broken to continue with, maybe that's why they're doing this. If they are in fact doing this, we don't know. Well, um, but if I were shopping the Star Wars brand around the current AAA publishers, I would be looking at Ubisoft real long and hard. Because there's kind of a conflict of interest in this deal with EA and and Lucas, because Lucas just wants this deal, sure to make money, but the money it makes off of this deal is a drop in the bucket compared to what it makes mm. off. It really made this deal for marketing and promotion of Star Wars, right? Around when the big movies release and all that kind of stuff. EA is more concerned about making tons of money off the games. Mm -hmm. So you look at like Amy Hennig's game, which wasn't going to be a game as a service where they could milk it for the next three years with microtransactions right. and loot boxes and everything, and EA cancels it. Maybe Lucas is like, what are you doing? Like, could be. We don't, we don't care if you're making money off this game because in three you gotta years. wonder if, like, you know, after Battlefront One sold what, like, thirteen million, and now like it that? sold seven of Battlefront Two, seven yeah. million. And then uh, I think they're creeping up on nine now on Battlefront Two. But you gotta wonder if they look at like Amy, uh, the Visceral game, and they're like, we think this is gonna sell about four million copies, and that's not good enough. That's what EA would say. Yeah. But if you're if, you're, if you're Lucas, you're, you're Lucas, like, what you're are you like, talking just about? Get content out yeah, there. Yeah, we keep just Star need... Wars in people's minds. Right. We need this brand in front right. of the gamers every freaking year. And so there might have been some huge strife between mm -hmm. Lucas and EA over Hennig's game being canceled. Right. Because it's very easy to do a Google search over Amy Hennig's product project and see everybody was like, I can't wait for this. If it's mm -hmm. Uncharted, set in the Star Wars universe, I'm all over it. We've been huge good press. Like yeah. it's good for the brand. Absolutely, and you, it just and you keeps see the mindshare. Why you know why did Bob Iger get on the phone to EA during the loot box controversy? Because Hurting they're, the they're brand. fucking with the brand, yep, and they absolutely. have a, they had a movie coming out in a month, and like 
Disney doesn't have any creative say over over Star Wars, but Disney is the distributor for the movies. So yeah. Disney decides the release dates and the right. promotional campaigns for the most part. And when and Disney's like, that's where their money comes from from Star Wars, and they're like, you need to say so it's like. EA can sit there and say, like, with these microtransactions, despite all the people complaining, we're still going to make tons of money because tons of people buy them, and the complainers are a smaller group. But you can. But the fact that Disney stepped up and said, "No, stop it." Well, to Lucas me, to doesn't me, care. Right, right. Lucas to me, doesn't says, care how much money they're making. Right. Off to me, says they don't care about how much money that's coming out of the video game. Right. They want the video game to be a good experience and good brand promotion for the the main meat of the brand which is the movies yep a good experience that is available every year right and ea is falling short of that so you can so. constantly jump into the star wars universe and like look you've got stuff like the the you know the the vr uh x-wing thing from battlefront one right which you know ea doesn't do vr the only reason that exists is because lucasfilm took some of the marketing budget from rogue one and gave it to ea and said make this yep and I think if you're a Star Wars fan and you played that, you're like, why is this not a game? Why did you not just make this? Yeah. Because holy crap. Yeah. That was great. It really was for as long as it lasted. For, anyway. Yeah, for the for the one mission. But I'm like, would I play like 12 more missions of that? Would I pay 60 bucks for a game that's just doing that for like a campaign? Yes. Absolutely. Of course yeah. I would. So it's going to get interesting here. I mean, there's still five years left on this deal and we're already seeing all this upheaval yeah. and... All these rumors swirling, but it's amazing. I was I was actually just talking about some of this, not not directly related to the rumor, but talking about this with some some people I know this week, and it was like we were talking about the old Lucas Arts games and kind of like people like how what happened? They're like like what happened to Lucas Arts? How come they were so innovative back then? And I'm like, you know, they weren't tremendously innovative in terms of because like what they were making because Lucas Arts' plan back in the day was basically what's the hot thing right now? Make a Star Wars version of that. You know, Doom's the big new thing. Dark Forces, right. uh, Wing Commander's a big hit. Uh, X-wing, X-wing, and Tie Fighter. Uh, you know, King's Quest is a big hit. Make adventure games. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, not everything was a great idea. Oh, real time strategy is coming up. Let's make Force Commander. Yeah. Um, everybody yeah. likes kart racing games. Super bomb bad racing. Yeah. Um, but like, you had a period there, from like you know the mid '90s to to the early 2000s, where like three or four Star Wars games are coming out per year. Oh, yeah. And if maybe you didn't like Super Bomb Bad Racing, there'd be another one That's along okay, a few months that you did like. there was some other genre, yeah, that you did like. And some yeah. of them are the greatest examples of the genre around. Like, like TIE Fighter and, and uh, I mean, people love Dark Forces. Uh, I don't like the Jedi Outcast series, but, like, there's people that still think that's one of the greatest things ever made in the Star Wars canon. Um like people love this stuff, they and like, did. and that was I'm also, and remember, I, and I think in Lucasfilm's you know vestigial memory somewhere, they have to know that from that period, you know, they they had the 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 books, you know, the, the EU novels were starting to come out, but for a lot of Star Wars fans, video games were the only thing that kept them in the Star Wars universe through the nineties. You're right. There yeah. was nothing else, and like, there was nothing. And you had the Rebel Assault games, especially Rebel Assault Two, that was a test basically to see. It, it was the first time they broke out the actual Star Wars props from the storage warehouse for the first time since Jedi or since the Ewok movies, I think and used them in that game and used it in a green screen because it was a test to see about the green screen technology to make the prequels. Right. Like, those games were an integral part. Games were of, kind of, of driving. Yeah, they were driving the idea of, like, how far can we push this tech? And yeah. you play it now, and it's just basically just practically unplayable, but I loved it at the time. Yeah. And I think Lucasfilm has to know in their DNA that keeping that video game presence out there is a way of keeping the core audience engaged with this brand. And maybe you don't and need... That's where EA's failing. Yeah, and maybe you don't <laughs> need to do that as hard as they did then because the movies come out every year now. But you can't deny that if you ask the average Star Wars fan who also played video games, 
you know, some of their favorite Star Wars products and Star Wars memories, they're going to say TIE Fighter, X-Wing, uh, you know, KOTOR. KOTOR like yeah. I mean, some of the best Star Wars content, period, has come out of video games. And that's gone now. Yeah. And why is it gone? It doesn't have to be. Like, this shouldn't be that hard. I think also you can release a Star Wars game that isn't a 9 out of 10. And, oh, yeah. And that's okay. It's not going to crush Most the of them brand. Aren't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I think EA may rue the day it decided to cancel Amy Hennig's game. Yeah. That could I, really I be the linchpin. It's definitely a mistake. And I, I think I'm saying that not just as a Star Wars fan who wanted to see that game. I think it would have been good for Star Wars. Absolutely. You know? Just to have the content out there. Not, I mean, Bounty Hunter wasn't very good, but it didn't sink the brand. Right. It was better to have someone, if you know, people like Django Fett, they wanted more Django Fett. Here's, here's a game about him. Well, I like, think it's also not great, you but... kind of do these games based on sort of side plots or side characters. I think mm -hmm. it, it kind of opens people's minds to be more accepting of movies that might be based upon right. side characters and side stories. So it and helps also, something like a Rogue One or a Solo. Yeah. Or it, it can't, like there's people that are still upset that Rogue One makes Dark Forces and Kyle Katarn non-canon. Right. You know, like, yeah. Because people got so attached <laughs> to that. You know, right. it told more Star Wars stories. I remember when, when I first, I remember installing that game when my friend Luis and I first got it. We put, installed it on his computer, and first off, we were like, 50 megabytes? No game should ever be that big. That's crazy. That's, we'll never ne have a game bigger than this. This is ridiculous. But I remember, you know, starting that up, and you had, like, the MIDI version of the, the music playing, and you press the button, and that blaster sound hits, and I'm just like, this is great. This is awesome. Yeah. Like, it was this, like, it was like shooting Star Wars right into your veins, and you hadn't, there hadn't been any new Star Wars content since those terrible Ewok movies. Yeah. And, like... Like, the, you can't overestimate how important it is to put people in that cockpit and to put them in, in the shoes of those those characters. And that's all EA had to do, and they haven't done it. And I would argue they really haven't even done it in Battlefront. Yeah. Like Battlefront has, it, Battlefront's a fun multiplayer game, but do I feel like I'm playing Star Wars? Do I feel like I am Han Solo? No, not at all. Like the, I just feel like I'm kind of playing with figures. Well, that's because know? when you play the campaign, you're not playing as a primary well, character. And two, when you actually do play as the special characters in the multiplayer, it's nothing. It's it means, these yeah. limited time. You get to play for like a minute before you get yeah. killed. Go beat Darth Vader, beat Darth Vader, beat Darth Vader. Oh, oh I'm dead. I'm dead. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and um, that to me is a big mistake that EA is making. Is yeah. it's not giving you access to the characters people care about enough. And there's no cinematic punch to it. Like the like the campaign does have a cinematic punch to it. I was also I'm also pleased that they. Extend of the campaign along with the multiplayer stuff. Who the hell does that anymore? Unless, yeah. you're, unless you're the Witcher. Yeah. Um, that was cool. Uh, or Horizon Zero Dawn did it. Um, so I like that. I think you know the campaign isn't stellar, but um, <laughs> but it's not bad. And it I like what they're tr the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and it kind of shows that like I me mean, hell if even Di look even Dice can pull off a pretty decent campaign. You give him Star Wars. Yeah. So imagine if you gave it to Amy frickin' Hennig. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're gonna lament that for a long time, I think. But uh, I mean, here's so. I mean, I I also am excited about Motives game. I, mean, I think Jade Raymond can also do a great Star Wars. Game. If that I mean, ever comes if out, if that happens too, I think Respawn probably has it in them. Make a who know, maybe Respawn's making Battlefront three. We don't know. It's possible. Like I would yeah. like to see them take that on rather. I mean, at the very least, they do the Scout Walkers better. Yep, for sure. <laughs> they should anyway. Yeah, we'll see. So. Lots of turmoil in the forest right now. <laughs> yeah, and it just seems so needless. It feels, it feels like we should be swimming in cool Star Wars products yeah, right has now. Yeah, resources it's not to there. do it, and it's just not happening. And I think that's probably what Lucas is looking at right now. It's yeah, like, if, I, if I were Lucasfilm, and I speak of complete ignorance from the inside of the situation, obviously, but like, if I were Lucasfilm, I'd be like, 
what is wrong with you? Like, what yeah. is, like, how? How are you not, how are you able to pump out a freaking football game every year and you can't do this? Yeah. This is, this is just as predictable as making a football game. Because all publishers now just are just concerned with in. making money off a game for the next three years. Right. Instead of just making a great game that everyone's going to buy at once. And it seems really weird, doubly weird, that like you're, you're, you're messing with, the, you're kind of trying to force these games, these Star Wars games, these licensed games into this games as a service format. When your job should be to do what the licensor wants you to do. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's like if you tried to make like a like a loot box heavy like pay to win multiplayer game out of transformers like yeah. with your activision oh Act- it'll probably happen well but you notice activision <laughs> well they you can already you already have that on a on mobile but like in like you notice that activision when they made you know even when they're getting into kind of the more you know subscription-y games and the more you know we can sell boxes in the games kind of thing when they would make their contract or license games the last of the amazing spider-man games or the la- or the last transformers game like the deadpool game they were straight up single player with a multiplayer tacked on sometimes yeah. like campaign here's the thing some spectacle some fun go for it done like it's a standard game it's just yep. a game they weren't trying to apply any of their weird because the other thing is like okay what if what if it does hit what if battlefront and, and their loot boxes became a giant giant hit now EA has got a revenue stream through Star Wars coming in constantly, until Lucasfilm decides they don't want to renew that right. license. Then your game's worthless. Then you, you can't keep that up anymore. Why don't you just deliver the product that's going to make the licensor happy, and make the fans of that brand happy, and everyone's happy? It's going to get worse, though. I mean, even and you can relentlessly fuck with the Madden fans as much as you want, but like, because that license is never going away, apparently. Yeah. Even uh, Japanese publishers now, if you read their financial reports, they're starting to talk about games mm-hmm. as a service and how can we get players engaged over the long haul with our well, games. Well, because it and, works. And, wait, I don't know if you and that's that. really the problem, yeah. isn't it? Is that if people would stop contributing money to these games as a service, but, but you know they what? would go away. But you know what? They won't because they don't. I don't know if you saw there was a, there's a, a research poll or something that, that came out today. 69% of people poll of gamers polled are fine with cosmetic material as loot box items. Yeah. Uh, only 22% find the find the loot box thing, the pay to win stuff, to be toxic and abusive. And 10% of the people polled buy microtransactions, which in comparison is like way bigger than the people who buy microtransactions in mobile. So. Well, it's like the, the anecdote majority that I told of... about my friend from home who got Battlefront 2 and mm-hmm. freaking loves it. And I'm like, oh, there's all this controversy over loot boxes. He's like, what are you talking about? What, what are you, are you talking mean? about? I just opened my daily box. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. Like, most yeah. people just don't, don't. care. It's... And if they don't care, don't care. They just don't buy it. Right. You know? Yeah. And, I mean, that is the solution, usually, in, in, your, in your ideal free market world, I guess. Um, but then you have things that, that prey on people who can't ignore them. Yeah. Um, right. And you, you know, that's where regulation comes from. It's where regulation comes for everything except a couple of specific things. Interesting, um, <laughs> but uh, it's just like sixty-nine percent of people don't care as long as it doesn't affect, directly affect gameplay. You're never getting rid of this stuff if, yeah. pe- if that's where you are, because you know, and you can't pretend that that's not some kind of overwhelming, meaningful majority because it is. That's as, yeah. as many people are, are don't care about think microtransactions with like. You know, cosmetic stuff is fine as disapprove of the president. Yeah. And we're not pretending that that disapproval rating is nothing. Yeah. So we can't pretend that this approval rating is nothing. You're absolutely right. So it's going to be an interesting next half a decade to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, we may get news on this in the next six months. Who knows? Yeah. And we'll see if that percentage changes as people learn more about how these things work. You know, like, because like you say, part of it is like if you're polling kind of average people that just play games like your friend, 
They don't even know. He's just like, what are you but, talking? He didn't even know this? what I was like, talking about. Yeah. He's like, loot boxes? He's like, you mean those things that open up every once yeah. in a while? And I'm like, yeah, they're 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 called loot boxes. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I get free stuff from those. I like them. And I'm yeah. like, okay. they just don't get it. You know, they, they don't look at games on the level we do or the level that our audience does. And, and maybe I, I think it's very easy for us to forget that everyone yeah. is not like us. Well, I don't forget that. It's like I've always said, like the people screaming about the loot box controversy, we're not, there's not that many of us. They're yeah. very small, we're very loud, but we're they're very yeah. small, you know. It's one reason Jim Sterling hammers on and on and on and on about it, because he knows, I'm sure, that we're all sitting there being like, yes, Jim, we know, we, we agree with you, it's fine. Yeah. But he knows that tons of people don't know. Yeah. And maybe those people will never see a Jim Sterling video, but they might. And the more he puts out there, the, the more higher the chances odds that they YouTube serves up that algorithm and someone yeah. says, oh, this is bad. You know, yeah. like, that's what he's trying to do as... Tires as we are getting, yeah. <laughs> We've talked about it so many times, but so we'll see where that goes. You know, maybe if you do that poll a year from now, that number will be smaller and people will be more aware. I'm guessing it would be, yeah. yeah. One can hope, anyway. The way things are disseminated out to the public now, who knows, though? Yeah, because remember, I mean, that's 69... EA could pay like YouTube to like, yeah, but that's 69% could... algorithm, so people aren't getting reached with that information. But that 69% could also include a lot of people that were like, The what? I don't care, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, they don't know, yeah. I don't yeah. know what that is. You know, who knows what that what the question was. Yeah. All right, let's move along. We're going to talk next about seasonal events. And Matt, I sat there curating for Sifted for the last several years now, and this is something that has become more and more prevalent over time, the mm-hmm. seasonal event. Um, and what made it really at home for me was Valentine's Day. <laughs> I think had the most seasonal events of any holiday ever. And you think about it, you're like, before that, it was this past Christmas. This past mm. Christmas, there was a bunch. And then you have this kind of insignificant holiday, Valentine's Day. And suddenly, every game in the industry has a Valentine's Day special event. Mm-hmm. And so, the first thing I wanted to start the discussion with was asking you, if do you play any seasonal events? I mean, I don't really play games that do that much. Because those are usually online or multiplayer kind of games as service thing and i don't really play much of that like i i am exposed to it through overwatch because my girl that's why i wanted it. to ask you because your girl's hardcore into overwatch yeah and does she play them well yeah because she plays the game i mean if you're so playing you a game you're you playing can't avoid it yeah it's just part of the game you know like if she gets if she levels up and gets a loot box when she's when the event's on she's gonna get or she'll spend her gold or whatever on like loot boxes that are you know this whatever the event loot box is does she seem to care about them at all? Oh, yeah. She does. Oh, so she, she remarks about them. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, th- this costume, I need this costume, I need that, I need this, I need that voice line. Like, oh, yeah. Like, absolutely. I think, she, a matter of fact, I think she, like, I mean, last time, I think the Christmas one, she got everything out of the, out of the boxes and stuff. I mean, so it, is it possible to play these and not get everything? Oh, yeah. Really? If you don't, if you don't uh, you know, get enough boxes. I mean, so basically, they're motivating people to play the game obsessively. Yeah, if you, play, if you play and play and play and play and play, I think mathematically you can earn enough gold or whatever to, to, to coins. I don't know what they call it. But you can earn enough to, to buy enough boxes that you probably will get everything. And they have improved the drop rate to not be duplicates uh, to the point that I think it's more feasible now. Um, I do tend to, like, get her, like, a $20, like, like blizzard card or something like when a new event hits so she can get a wow bunch. but like so it is really mo- these season, season events are really motivating behavior i seems like it and so my next question is do you think that this is being done she, she just texted me and said she always gets everything so oh really okay, let's just set that <laughs> she's straight. watching the yes. show apparently yeah. oh she watches yeah <laughs> so maybe we should have had her on the show to talk about this <laughs> she's so into it but uh 
So do you think the publishers are doing this to celebrate that holiday? Or do you think that they're doing this to make sure that the people who are addicted to their games stay addicted to the games by giving these these cosmetics or whatever they award for playing them? Yes. <laughs> Both, you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure tons of people at Blizzard celebrate Christmas. <laughs> and and had a Valentine's dinner or whatever, yeah. but like if that's what you mean, like but yeah, they're they're in, they're designed to keep you engaged. They're designed to to make it feel special and to keep you playing and to keep you thinking like oh this is more there's always more to do there's always more to get there's always more to to see, um, and that's the point. And uh, Valentine's so that's that's that is the point. Of course, I mean it's, to it's, plan in your mind. There's always more to do. There's always yeah. more to see. There's always more and to if you, get. And if you don't play now. You'll never get it. You're right. You know, it'll, it'll go away. Yeah, it'll I mean, it. it forces people to go back into these games, right? right? If you see, I mean, it happens with like tons of people where it's like, I see my all my friends that play games like they're like, oh, I did, I stopped playing this game, but I saw this new costume or something that you can get in the event, and I gotta go do, I gotta do it. Why do you think so people who had already stopped playing a game would care whether they had a costume for a game that they're that not they don't playing play anymore? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Isn't it bizarre? I don't know. I feel like the gaming industry has been taken over by psychologists. Like, seriously, I think a lot of these publishers and developers are working with people who work in psychology oh, yeah. to try to figure out... I mean, that's marketing. That's always it been is, what it uh, is. I mean, that's an element of marketing, at least. And I, it seems like, over time, it's increasingly becoming a bigger part mm -hmm. of gaming marketing. Yeah, well, especially if you're just trying to keep people engaged as long as you can. And it used to be... You know, they're free it, most of the time. I should be what achievements were for. Yeah, that was one of the things reasons achievements exist was existed was to try to keep you engaged. It still works. I yeah. mean, there's still people who are obsessed with. Because don't forget, you know, I mean, the Colin Moriarty is still obsessed with achievements. The used uh, game market is not what it once was. But remember, like you know, ten years ago, like one of the main things publishers were working on were how do we keep people from playing our game and selling it back in a week right. and losing sales to people who would otherwise buy it new because they've got all these used games they can buy for 10 bucks less. Yeah. Um, and the answer to that tended to be uh, multiplayer to keep all oh, people. And then I think Call of Duty 4 is the one that really came up with oh, not just multiplayer, an experience system, a level up system, a prestige system, a way to make you attached to this and never want to get rid of it. And now when as you know, used games are not as big a thing, I think people buy digitally often enough that like, you just want to keep people playing that and not buying another game, unless it's your game. Ooh. So I don't know. I don't know what the psychology on that is. But yeah, you and, and like the easiest way to do that is to kind of attach these events to important events, important thing. You know, I think they did. You know, the Winter Olympics thing. They could that some, some people are doing. First steep. Yeah. yeah. There's the uh, it's steep. There's a there's a name I've not it's heard still in around. a long time. <laughs> it's like, still out there. Is that ever coming to Switch? Did they ever? Do they that? said they're still working they're on still it. Still doing yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, take your time. Take your time, I guess. I mean, jeez. Uh, you know, and, and Valentine's Day, I think, is just an easy, an easy theme. You know, you just everything's red. You put hearts on stuff. <laughs> That's pretty much what they've been doing. Like it's, it's either that or like New Year stuff, and that was January. So. I mean, the one thing I will say is it does allow games to kind of break out of their molds a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll have games that maybe you wouldn't associate with Valentine's Day, like yeah. Dying Light or something like that, where they'll do like a special event for Valentine's. And sometimes it's a little loose. But I think what really set it off for me was some of the clips we saw there at the end, which were for like the Lunar New Year. <laughs> I was just like, really? And I know they've done it now for uh, several years in a row. At least Blizzard has. Um, but that just seems like a huge stretch to me. And that's kind of what set the flag off in my mind. I was like, wait a minute. Lunar New Year seasonal event? Like, 
who's that for? Like China. I guess, but it's it just feels like we're, they're starting to get more and more brazen with the tactic of, hey, here's this stuff. I know you don't care about Lunar New Year, but mm-hmm. here's this gear you're only going to be able to get for these next few days, so come on back. And well, part of it is also, I think, if you are a regular obsessive player, it's nice to have something that changes it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, like it's, you're not, at least you're not playing the same thing over and over. It's a nice little change of pace. Like, I, I get that to it, too. You know, and, they, and sometimes they come up with some game modes that are so popular that they get brought back repeatedly well sometimes they have really popular modes and they don't bring them back yeah which is really crazy or they bring only they save it for the same event next year which is like if you're sure of the longevity like maybe you know it's just but like lunar new year i mean that's a that's a big thing in china it is and yeah. if you're if you're i mean the chinese audience is more and more important and, and china also plays a lot and it's of not like games. as an american i'm gonna look at them and be like lunar new year i'm not gonna play you until this is over <laughs> like no one does that so right. like it, it's you know and you get some cool costumes and the cool things out of it i mean it, it makes sense to me i think it's a little cynical sure but like it's it, video games are business you know it, it, it's 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 a way to, to keep people engaged, and it's a way that works. And at least it's a way that, like, feels like they're at least doing some work on your behalf, you know? It's not like they're just being like, being like, hey, the loot boxes are half price this week. Fuck you. You know, yeah, at I least, guess- like, they designed some new things. They designed a new event. They put some new costumes together. Like, at least it feels like they're updating things. Yeah, and I think as long as they stay free... Mm-hmm. That to me is kind of the line. If you start charging for people to participate in the seasonal events, that yeah, I don't think that a... to me is where it would it would start to get. A little I've shame. never heard of them doing that. Like at the very least, you tend to get like even even in the most penny pinching games, they tend to give you a couple of boxes to to you know, the first one's free kind of thing. You know, have you ever yourself participated in it in any seasonal event? Um, does like rise like the like the Iron Banner account in Destiny? Not really. Um, those are special events. Like special events, yeah. yeah like season. I mean, I don't make a lot of distinction between like the special event and the seasonal event. Like it's just like a thing that's happening in the game that's unusual for a limited time. But see, if you but here's the thing though, seasonal events are always free. When you start getting into the special events, that tends to be where there there's some kind of a barrier or a border. It may not be money. It may be like with the, with Assassin's like Creed, or whatever, where you have yeah. to be like a certain level to play. Um, and that, I did finally do that. By the did way. you? Yeah. Although I killed, <laughs> I have it. I killed those bosses at like level thirty-five. It was you didn't have to be forty. Oh really? It was just a recommended level. Oh, got you, got you. And I did kill them because all three of them were up during Christmas, and I killed all three of them. And then it turned out that to get the the outfit or what and the and the whatever it was the the to to get the the reward for it, you have to kill one of them in a separate event. So you can't. I, so I got killed all three. Uh, of, so the, you get the you get the the reward for killing all three bosses. But I killed all three bosses. But the trick is, on the next event boss kill, you get the stuff. So I had to wait until the next time they did oh, it, geez. kill that boss again, and then I got the stuff. And the stuff is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, by the time I did that, I was level forty three or something, it and like it was really easy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you don't have to be forty to do it. But it took it took me like like to beat the bosses at level thirty five or thirty six. I think I was. It took me like ten fifteen minutes, and it took me more like two right. when I was level at like proper level. Yeah. So you can do it. You just have to be good at dodging. You'd be just looking out for the cash. 
Yeah. <laughs> Making sure the casuals aren't going to get so frustrated they give up. Yeah, I guess. But it's, and also, the, all three boss battles are basically the same, and they're dumb. Like, yeah. it, it, it wasn't fun, really. It was just, it was cool to see the giant god things, because, like, I like it when Assassin's Creed goes off the, off the rails. Me too, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's at its best. I, I mean, I even, it was strange, but I even like the Final Fantasy XV crossover thing they did where the, do you see that? No, I never did it's see It's like that. a meteor crashes, and you go investigate it, and when you, like, and, like, when you, open the tomb, solve the puzzle of the tomb, like the bad guy from Final Fantasy XV materializes no. in the tomb and walks out and like Bahamut comes down and throws all these swords down and like teleports him up and he rides away on the dragon and the only thing that's left is like this sword and a shield and you pick it up and now you've got a Final Fantasy sword and shield in the game. <laughs> it's the strangest damn that's thing. Sweet, but it's like, hey, great. Like Ubisoft, good relations with all the all the Japanese developers. Kojima loves them, Square loves them. Like, I also have never participated in a seasonal event ever. Yeah, maybe I, I just, it's not, if it, if I did, it didn't click with me that I did it, I guess. I don't, I don't think about it. I also wonder if putting such a big emphasis on a holiday like Valentine's Day is the right thing to do. Me? Because, you know, Valentine's Day is one of those holidays where if you're not participating, generally you're a little upset about it. Yeah. If you don't have a girl to go to dinner with. There's, or... there's a little bit of a thing where it's like, oh, so you're just assuming that like, it's like, we're assuming you don't have anything to do today, so here's an event. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, was, yeah, I, was, I was trying to hint at that without saying it, but then you you just did. So I don't care. It like, kind of cocked my eyebrow. Like as they started piling on and piling on, I was like, "Wait a minute, why? Why is know. Valentine's Day getting so many of these?" Because it's the only holiday in February. Like it's either that or President's Christmas Day. is the only holiday in December, and it had more than Christmas. No, it's not. You got Hanukkah. You, oh, got, you got New yeah, Year's I guess, coming I up. Guess you're right. You got Kwanzaa. Yeah. I mean, Festivus. you got Festivus <laughs> for the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, you know, but February, the only major holiday is, is Valentine's Day, unless you want to do President's Day, and that cuts out the entire planet except for America. Right. Right. Um, and who wants to? do that right now <laughs> you want to play a president's gate day game go play bioshock infinite i guess yeah, like, um touche but uh yeah valentine's day is the only thing that makes sense and it's kind of got a worldwide cachet and everybody knows what it means and if you don't know what it means you're like you red with hearts and, and cupid bow things Every, yeah everybody gets that it's like iconography the iconography is universal so it is absolutely so all right let's move on we're going to talk next about billy mitchell <laughs> <laughs> Billy Mitchell does not want you to buy his hair care products in anywhere but officially registered Billy Mitchell salons. Does he sell hair care products? No, that's a reference to a Paul Mitchell uh, commercial. Oh. That is an act. I mean, I'm, I know he sells hot sauce. No, I, am, I am actually referencing a Paul Mitchell beauty product commercial from the early 90s where at the end of the of the commercial, this I guess it's Paul Mitchell wearing like a, 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 like a, like a fedora in shadow and glasses turns to you after you know it's the usual kind of like oh wash your hair and, and it's and it just he just turns to the camera and the narrator says paul mitchell does not want you to buy his products at anywhere but are officially registered paul mitchell salon i'm like why i'm like and like in my you know in my like 12 year old head i had like like visions of like a like an like an underworld of like salon hair products, care products. Where, like, yeah they like, make your all your hair fall like off. paul mitchell's like raiding like like unofficial like like salon like like like, like where'd you get this you know like, like I, I just it busted but that's always like it was just such a sinister and like he's, he's got the hat on and it's like all in shadow and just kind of turns to the yeah, camera like, that. Yeah. Like, what, like what is going on in the world of hair it's care like, who are you, i didn't know who the hell paul mitchell is like i wouldn't and, even know it was him and billy mitchell with his flow 
flowing mane of, of <laughs> hair has always reminded me of that for some reason. Just, it's like Billy Mitchell, Paul Mitchell. It was just right. uh, okay. Well, we're talking about Billy Mitchell, who, who sells hot sauce, but does not sell hair care products, at least that, as far as not I yet. know. Not, not yet. we know of. He's waiting to expand his empire out into hair Although I might want to know what hair care products he uses. <laughs> Because that is that is a gorgeous mullet. Well, over the last week, a lot of people have accused him of wearing a rug. So I. Oh well, that would explain it. (laughs) Or it could just be people lashing out because, as it turns out, that looks pretty legit to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was what now ten years ago. Ten or so years ago, yeah. Yeah. So for those of you don't know, at some point. His hair looked like that, and that's that's a flowing mane that very it few is. of us can aspire to. It, it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Billy Mitchell was the star? Would you call him a star? I'd call He's him the, the villain. star slash villain. He was the villain of a documentary called King of Kong, and it was all about how he had set crazy records playing Donkey Kong, and there was this guy, his name was Steve Weeby. Is yeah. that how you say it? Yep. Who was attempting to break his records, and yep. that was the whole focus of the documentary, and as it turned out, at the end of the documentary, Steve Wiebe had beaten his records, and the official record-keeping company of record, Twin Galaxies, essentially screwed Steve Wiebe. Mm-hmm. He, they said that they wouldn't recognize his records, and then this guy, Billy Mitchell, comes in and just randomly sends in a tape of right. him beating Steve Wiebe's record. And, the, and at the end of the... Basically, Twin Galaxies had refused to recognize Steve Wiebe's records based on videotaped. Mm-hmm. videotaped Because they didn't know him. Because they didn't know him. But because Billy Mitchell was in cahoots with Twin Galaxies, he was able to just send them a tape with his name on it, and suddenly they discounted what Steve Wiebe had done and gave the, the, the award or the record back to Billy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 10 years, and here we are in 27, 2018. In the last month, not only has Billy Mitchell been completely discredited, but there's also a guy who has tons of records from the Atari 2600 days. Todd, what's his Todd name? Todd Rogers. Todd Rogers. Who has the all... The dragster guy? Dragster. Yeah. No, he has records, or had at least records. Dragster is the record that I always had always heard was questionable. Like the idea that like the, the, the guy who made the game was like, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's it's usually a good sign that your record yeah. is a fraud. But he, here's the thing most people don't realize is that he has records in almost every Atari 2600 game. Like literally scores that are so high and so astronomical, there are people that have tried for years to even get half of his scores. And as it turns out, there there was one huge fan of his who set out to beat the dragster record. He could not beat it. And then there was a guy came in who actually went into the code and basically played the game perfectly according to the code, and still couldn't beat his record. And so once that happened, people started getting skeptical of him and started going back and trying to beat all his other records. And so there he is right there, by the way, playing Dragster. And if you actually watch this, he's sitting here the whole time making for excuses for why he sucks at Dragster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right there, you can see it. He's like, oh, well, I, you know, I, there's people here, well, and there's noise, and, and, like, and this yeah. controller's a little weird, and blah, blah, blah. So essentially, this guy... And Billy Mitchell have turned have turned out to become complete frauds. Yeah, the Billy Mitchell thing was because fa- I read the thread on the guy who basically he figured out that that his stuff was done on an emulator. Yeah, and the Billy way- Mitchell's Billy stuff. Mitchell's Donkey Kong stuff was done on yeah. an emulator, and the way they figured it out, and I'm still not fully clear on this, so there might might not, might not be a hundred percent accurate. But ba- what, as I understood it, reading the the, the post like five times, yeah. was basically the 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 actual arcade board renders. 
the graphics in a certain way, a certain sideways. direction sideways, and the, then the ROMs and top the down. emulators do it top down a different way. So you yeah. can tell, like, split frame by split frame how the board, like... Appears on the screen, like yeah. what pieces appear in what order, right. what it is. And Billy Mitchell's tape was a ROM because it was yep. appearing vertically. And if it was if it was a arcade board, it would. And also, there was a whole thing where like he claimed to have like a arcade board direct feed, and no one has ever been able to figure out how to do that. Like and like no one could recall ever seeing him actually play Donkey Kong in public to do it. Well, like, I don't know if you remember. It or got not. weirder and weirder. But he. Was it him or Weeby that went on G4? Weeby. Weeby. We, worked with, we did stuff with Weeby a lot, actually. Like, Weeby and I, was and a very a, a fun guy. I read a post from someone on, on Facebook the other day where he used to work at G4. I didn't even know that he worked there. And he mm. said he had been called in to try to ca- get direct feed capture off the arcade board for Donkey Kong. And he could not no, figure it out. Couldn't be done. And eventually, he just had to use like a lipstick camera yeah. that shot the screen. That's, that was for the the E3. We had him. In, we had him there live at E3 one year, and he had a you know Donkey Kong machine on the stage, and he was playing for the record during the live coverage, and like it was time so that he would either win or not win. Right about the, right about the, the big finale of the show, and yeah, it was just a lipstick cam hung over the over the thing, pointing point out because we couldn't get direct feed out of the thing. So. These guys are shady, but I think that what the big problem is, is that what's even shadier is Twin Galaxies. Mm-hmm. Because Twin Galaxies has allowed, has covered up for both of these guys for decades. There's a guy on YouTube, I wish I had his name handy, but I watched like a, a thing that he put he posted like last week where he talked about how this guy, Todd Rogers, used to be his hero. And he has worshipped him since he was a kid and thought he was a god. And he said once the Dragster thing happened, then he started looking into his other scores and has gone back and has actually beaten some of Todd Rogers' other scores. This guy's really good at games, by mm-hmm. the way. And he's been playing Atari 2600 for like 25 years or whatever. And he has spent like two months on some of the games and not even been able to get like a quarter of Todd Rogers' score. And so he starts wondering, he's like, how could Todd Rogers set... All these records in like a three or four year period across dozens of games where I've had to spend like a year just to beat one of his scores. Mm-hmm. And so they start figuring out that pretty much all of his records were just garbage. Like he just made up the scores and like that's it. And the problem is, is that cracking that wall of Twin Galaxies has become impossible. Like you saw it firsthand on mm-hmm. King of Kong where they were absolutely making up the most ridiculous excuses for... Billy Mitchell, for any reason they mm-hmm. could give him to make sure that he remained... Well, even before all that, I mean, you watch King of Kong and you get, you definitely see, it's like, there is a giant gatekeeping scenario. Yeah. Like they, are, like, they have their inside They have know, these circle weird of, creeps that show up at yeah, arcades who, who, like they, who try to yeah. discount, like, it's they're weird. There's a little club of people who do this, and, like, if you, if you want to get in there and you try, like, there's like, oh, we got to vet you in all 14,000 different ways... And then Billy Mitchell just sends a tape in with right. his name scribbled on it. Because apparently he's he's good. He's okay. Well, he right. would never do that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's, like, and it's like that's not how regulated you know stuff works. Bodies work. <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, and you got the further stuff with like a lot of the Todd Rogers stuff is like he he and you know, maybe he knew like who's ever going to be able to check this. How many people are are good enough to even see that part of the game? We probably fat never fathomed. Because it was back in the frickin' 70s yeah. and 80s. He never fathomed that somebody would eventually be able to use the data on that cart and put it into a program and play that right. game to an optimal level. To or that th- someone would care enough right, to do to that. Right, to do it. Yeah. 
Peanut, who could have seen esports and mm. video game records speedruns right. becoming such a big deal later and the, on? And the, the irony of it is, like, King of Kong was actually really against their best interests in that regard. Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely. I feel like King of Kong sparked a lot of interest in that beyond... I mean, obviously, speedrun has always been a thing, but, like... People would see, people saw that and got interested in that. You know, even if it was a small community, I think it's. I think that a lot of it started there. And there are more documentaries. If you want to see another documentary about this kind of sort of thing, I used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. Look up Man vs. Snake. Yeah. With a guy who who wants That's... to get the high score in Nibbler, <laughs> which is a game you've. Ne- I'd never. Heard. I mean, I yeah. was an arcade rat through my whole childhood. I've never heard of I that game either. in yeah. my life. But this dude used to be the greatest at Nibbler and wasn't. And like he's like he's in like his thirties or something now, and he's like. He decides like to kind of recapture the one thing he was like really great at in his life, and it's sort of the story of him sort of regaining his foothold there, and like it's this weird mix of like inspiring and disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think King like, of Kong was like that too. A little bit, yeah. But like it's it's um, it, it's it's like King of Kong at least had the advantage of like you say like you're the best in the world at Donkey Kong, people at least know what that is. Yeah. You say nibbler, you're the, you're it's the like... best in the world at nibbler. You're like, mm. <laughs> but the sadness for me from King of Kong was watching how they treated Steve. Right. I mean, that's also kind of a thing. Because like, you can he... see he was better than anybody oh, yeah. else at the game, and they just refused to accept it. He's also a really nice dude. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like the he's, best guy ever. He's very, up for freaking anything. When we do, I don't, if you look look up, um, uh, God, I don't know what how, what you Google. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. But we did a fake trailer for Terminator. With King of Kong, like a King of Kong Terminator trailer, with like, like people getting sent back and like, like old. We did Steve Weeby up like an old. He was in it. Like we did. He was like an old Steve Weeby in like the Future War, and like we sent a Terminator back to save him and do and like figure do all the and like we had a like evil Billy <coughs> Mitchell like T one thousand character that was very elaborate. Like he was there, and we shot it up there, and and there's a, we even let his kid be in it. You know, the kid who comes up and is just right. like, stop playing yeah, Donkey yeah. Kong. <laughs> Like, Pay attention to your son. Like there's a shot of the Terminator sitting on the <laughs> on the couch with the kid, and and because and, and and the Terminator's like, you come with me if you want to live, and he's like, I'm, I'm like almost to the kill screen. Can you just can you just wait? <laughs> and he, and so the last shots like the Terminator on the couch with the kid, and the Terminator turns and goes, Does he do this to you too? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the kid's like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> That's good. But um, so yeah, so I'm a little biased in favor of Steve Wee because uh, I don't I'm, think you have to be biased yeah. to see that he was treated like crap. Right. I mean just watch the movie but the other thing i would say too is now that movie lost all its impact because you realize it was all fake Mm. like all of billy's scores were all freaking fake and all the tension that was built up over him beating the records isn't the pac-man i think the pac-man one he did was that miss pac-man the first one to actually beat miss pac-man he did he was like played the perfect pac-man game or something I think was that I think wasn't that like supervised like I think that was there that have legit? been some things that he's done that have had yeah. well the problem is they were usually supervised by Twin Galaxies true true I mean how did Twin Galaxies this little rinky dink organization end up becoming the de facto standard for video game records like they're the only ones who cared because they had a dude who would wear a freaking like Footlocker like yeah, comp- were, uh, employee I mean, outfit I mean it really was at the time it was because they're the only ones who cared yeah. Like, you know, no well, one else to, wanted to. Something needs to happen here because if people, obviously people are very passionate about this stuff. And there are people dedicating mm-hmm. months, years of their lives to these records. There needs to be something better there. You can't just go on this mm-hmm. flim flam organization that was basically colluding with people who are holding records. I mean, to be fair, Twin Galaxies did rescind the dragster record from him. So at least mm-hmm. it's trying to make amends now. But 
I mean, it's, it's just funny. I get so wrapped up in, in King of Kong, and now you look back at it, and it's just like, it was all a sham. But it was a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. Yep. <laughs> anyone's interested. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's the problem. No one's interested. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. It's hard to have a really firmly regulated body when, like, the only people who care are the people regulating it. Right. You know, like... Yeah. You know, and at a certain point, like, you know, the fact that it took so long for anyone to even figure out that any of these things were fraudulent or might be fraudulent uh, kind of indicates, like, how closely anyone's really paying attention to it. Yeah. And maybe maybe the, one of the weird things about, you know, when Steve Wiebe tries to get in, it's like kind of things like, wait, someone wants to do this? Like, it, Well, the other thing, know, too, is that now... There are tons of younger players who have destroyed yeah. both Billy Mitchell's and Weeby's records. Like, uh, in fact, the the record was just set in January of this year. Uh, someone got like 1.2 million, and they were talking about like just barely getting over a million mm. um, in King of Kong. So that kind of takes a little bit of uh, juice out of the out of the story and the records as well. Is that neither of those guys are even relevant anymore? Right. In that well, the, the new generation always moves in. Yeah, they they came in and they took over. So well, and the other, I think you got to wonder, like you know, clearly Billy Mitchell is pretty good at Donkey Kong. Yeah, right? of course, you know? yeah. But like you guys got you know with the, with the Weeby era thing and like the kind of they're trying to recapture. Like you got to wonder, like maybe he was that good, maybe he isn't anymore. And like you know, yeah. and like the, like that guy says, do you have the time? Do you have the inclination to spend months? Training, literally training, training yeah. to retake that record, or do you just say, "Oh, I'll just do that"? You know, I know I can get away with that, so I'm going to do that. It's like, mm, looks like it went one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, sure. And like the other thing, of course, like part of I think part of it, as, as I understood it, was like not even necessarily that like the Billy Mitchell record on the tape was fraudulent, but the, because it was not an arcade board, right? You don't know. It's not saying it doesn't prove he well, if, cheated. Well, here's the thing. If you record with MAME, you can easily splice footage yeah. together. And it's like, even if you don't know he did that, the possibility means you can't assume. You have yeah. to You have to have direct arcade Absolutely. board. Yep. So I'm glad, it's, I'm glad overall that these guys were caught, and now the records hopefully will be legitimate going forward because a, a light has been shined on Twin Galaxies as well, and it mm. needs to get its house in order. And you're right. It is, regardless of... How or why? It is the de facto record holding. I mean, the Guinness Guinness Book gets its stuff from Twin Galaxies, mm-hmm. so it is the de facto organization. Hopefully, all the uproar over this and the light that's been shined on it will get Twin Galaxies' house in order, and it'll be something that we can trust going forward. So we'll see. Uh, next, we're going to talk about. Well, actually, we're not going to talk about anything, as I like to say, when the content's low, we go high low, <laughs> and so we're here to play high low. This week with Mr. Kyle. Kyle has not seen any of these questions. In fact, I deleted them from his rundown of the show. So he could not prepare for these in any way. All these answers are off the cuff. And just so you guys know how it works is I provide a scenario and a number. And then Matt needs to tell me if ultimately the outcome will be higher or lower. And I have four here for you. And I think they're four pretty good ones. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Copies of Kingdom Come Deliverance sold in 2018. And just before you answer that, it sold 500,000 already in Mm. just a couple days. The reviews are pretty low. So, copies of Kingdom Come Deliverance sold in 2018. And the number is 1 million. Higher or lower? Higher. Higher. Yeah. You think even with the reviews and kind of the launch hysteria gone? Yeah. I think so. I mean, just momentum is going to be there. And I mean, he, uh, the what the studio had already said, they expect to hit a million by the end of next week. Really? Yeah. So the reviews have not slowed down sales at all? Doesn't seem like. I mean, people are, at the very least, they're curious about it. Because um, like I said last week, there's not really anything else like it on the market right now. 
And uh, I mean, it was the number one game on Twitch the day it came out. Uh-huh. Like that's crazy. <laughs> like the yeah. people were. Also, that game is not a spectator sport. No, but believe you me. Like that is <laughs> it not is a, a thing. Slow I would, burn. <laughs> um, but people were were watching it because I think people are curious about it. It's it's got like this. You know what it's trying to do is something kind of unique. Well, it it looks like an Elder Scrolls game. Yeah, and I think that's enough for some people. They're like, it looks like Elder Scrolls. And we haven't got a new one of those. Sure doesn't in like eight taste years. like Elder Scrolls. <laughs> yeah. I'm stuck on a. My, I have a bug in mind now that uh, basically I've, I've had to stop. And I've seen I've seen people post about the same bug actually, but like I got a. Uh, so if you if a guard wants to search you, like you get he'll call out to you and like you have to like surrender to him, which is like you the prompt comes up and it hold you hold LB and press A. And a, a guard uh, wanted to search me, but then I I walked too close to a cutscene trigger but the the <laughs> the surrender thing in the corner stayed there and it never went away and i couldn't get rid of it oh geez and i'm like okay well but like but like as i would see walk up and interact with things it would still the prompt would still pop up so i'm like okay i guess it's fine um i didn't have a save the saver system is so restrictive that i didn't have a save that wouldn't lose me like an hour or two so i just kept going and I went off on this, you know, rest quest and sent me all the way a field over here and over here and over to this thing. And then this thing happened. I went over here and went to this. And finally, after like six hours of game time, uh, I, I got back to my house, my, you know, my, my, the place that I live, my character yeah. live. And I went to get in the bed. And the way you sleep in a bed is you have to hit A button and sit on the bed. And then you have to, when you're sitting on the bed, you have to hit the A button again to sleep. When you sit down on the bed, the surrender prompt does not change to sleep. Oh, so I geez. can't sleep in the bed, which means I don't have any way to, like, I mean, I have to go, I can sleep by finding, like, mats in, like, campsites and stuff that have sleep as the default interaction. Uh-huh. But I can't sleep in a bed, which is a higher comfort level, which is, like, it's a more reliable way to qu- to save the game. Um, I mean, look, it's you're a not safe alone. place to be. And, I'm, and I'm like, so okay, is, is the game impossible to play now? No, but it's real annoying to play now. I don't have a, have a place to go to sleep in. I mean, look, the the word online is this game is pretty janky. It is. I mean, it's and it gets like break, more janky the further on you go. Like, like yeah. you know, because so, this. So I'm like, my save's like 18 hours in now. And I was just hitting the point where, like, my character had been built up to the point that I felt like, like, okay, I feel like I can handle things. Like, it's not super easy, but I feel like I'm prepared for stuff. I can handle, I can use the weapons I've been waiting to use. Like, I'm good. Let's go. Let's hit the, oh, I can't sleep. Okay. And so I guess I'll just wait and see if they patch it. But, like, I feel like I'm kind of stuck now in that game. Uh, like I said, it's, I can't, can you think of any other game that had an aggregate review score of, like, a six that sold a million copies in, like, a year? Um, probably. I mean, if you go back a generation. I can't think of any. I don't think review scores matter that much. Apparently they don't. <laughs> and I would say the user score for this is higher than yeah, the critic and also, score. Like, and also, the, the reviews are pretty divided. I, I mean, yeah, they're averaging out into the 6 range, but like... People are giving it a three out of ten. People are giving it a nine out of ten. I would never give it a nine. Even if it worked perfectly, I wouldn't give it a nine out of ten. But like, I think a lot of people, their scores are dependent on how many bugs they encounter. That and how I think how on board with the idea they are. Yeah. Because it is pretty much doing what it says it's going to do. Because a lot, most of the bugs I've run into are not like, oh, this system they bragged about doesn't work right. It's that the game's just buggy. It's yeah. just they didn't test get QA tested enough. Like it's it's not like. You know the the reputation system or the sword combat is not working right. It's like, oh, I spawned into this battle and I, my sword just can't contact guys, can't hit right. people, so I have to restart the game. Or 
the, the prompts stay up, or there was a, a glitch and when I dropped one piece of cheese, <coughs> a thousand pieces of cheese fell out of it. You know, like, it's not like... It's Eurojank. Right. It's, it, <laughs> and most of it's pretty innocuous, you know? And most of it's not really ruining the game by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just like... Eh, like it, I, I would wait a while <laughs> and see and see if it even gets fixed. I don't know if it will. I don't know. I have a feeling that once a couple other games come out, this thing's going to get lost by the wayside. I think, I think it's going to struggle to get to a million. But I think we'll it'll. See. I think it'll hit a million. Uh, it's it still doesn't really have a lot of competition until we get to next month. All right, next question. Copies of Nintendo Labo Variety Kit mm-hmm. sold in 2018, higher or lower? Five million. Oh, that. Hmm. I'm gonna say lower. I don't think they're gonna be able to produce enough. Of them. Oh, you think that'll be the problem? Yeah. You think demand is enough to sell five million? I think it might be. I think it might be. I, I, my, my, my answer to that hinges on production. Like, if they can make enough. Like, if they can make five million, I bet they'll sell five million. But it seems to me that Nintendo has not had a problem producing enough stuff. Yeah, you haven't been looking for amiibos. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, I don't, I don't look for amiibos <laughs> <laughs> like ever. <laughs> if I find them at the store and I see one I like, I just buy it. But I'm not like out there on like day one. I think it go. has the potential to sell five million if Nintendo can get five million of them out there. Okay. Um. So wait, did you answer that? Is higher or lower? <laughs> My guess is lower because of production problems. Okay. All right. I would hope they wouldn't have production problems with a cardboard, but. I don't know. Okay. Here's another Nintendo one. Also, that's like 50% of the user base, and that seems like a lot. Yep. So. The next one. Here's another Switch question. Nintendo Switch consoles sold worldwide in 2018. The number is 15 million. Higher or lower? Sold just in 2018? Just in 2018. I think that's lower. Lower than 15? Yeah. I think they're going to sell That falls in line with what you've been saying on the show for yeah, a while. Yeah, I think they're going to sell... Mm, 10 million ish yeah yeah i, I think, think they might get close to that 15 maybe depends on what the latter i mean look if that po- rumors about the pokemon game are true yeah maybe they'll get to 15 if it's... but that would probably come at the end of the year so that would only give them a boost for q4 yeah but it's still don't don't underestimate pokemon yep. but uh right now looking at the at the at the field as we see it like i think they're going to be more it's going to be pretty much a, re- a repeat of last year's sales if not a little less a little less, really. Because I feel like sales last year were just restricted by supply. Yeah, to some degree. But I think this year's sales are going to be restricted by nobody Software. cares. Software like, quality. Yeah. The people There's a lot of wanted... people are going to want to buy a system for Labo. Maybe. I think that'll move systems. That's a lot of money to play with cardboard. Yeah. I don't know. 20 bucks more than a normal game. Yeah, but I mean, like, also paying like buying a, a $350 system on top of that. But you're going to buy a system. You're going to buy a game with your system. If you have kids, Nintendo Labo is probably a pretty good idea. Yeah. But if you haven't already bought it, like, did the cardboard push you into it? That, that's an odd move to me. Like, and, just, uh, just buy a Tinker Crate, dude. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot cheaper. Feel free, by the way, in the chat to share wh- whether you think higher. it's higher or lower. After I finish with these, I'll go back and I'll look at the chat and see what you guys say. Everyone's saying lower on that. They agree with yeah. you. Uh, here's the last one. And this one's a little tongue-in-cheek. Mm. Number of Star Wars games released before EA loses the license. 
higher or lower? And the number is four. I think that might be the number. <laughs> but it's probably higher. You think? Yeah, I think they'll squeeze out three more. Well, they've got two Maybe. out so far. There's Respawn. You know Respawn's going to finish its game. Respawn's going to finish That's their game. That's three for sure. Motive? Think, motive, probably. I think DICE will make another Battlefront. Okay. I think you're going to get probably five at the least. Okay. But four or five seems pretty reasonable as a guess. <laughs> so I'm going to say higher just in the... And also, I don't know if you can count the mobile games. EA does publish those. No, those don't count. But uh, you're talking about full, full-fledged console. But I don't think they're going to publish any new mobile games. They already have them out there that are just like cash cows. Yeah, but they My already, friend back at home also plays those. Galaxy of Heroes. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. He loves it. I play Galaxy of Heroes. He tries to get me to play all the time. And I'm I like, play no. a lot of those like licensed mobile games until it hits the point where I clearly have to spend money to keep going at a reasonable pace, and then I just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just, you know, it's fun for a while when they're running through the tutorial and everything's like, they give you all the free stuff to keep going. And then I was like, oh, now I gotta wait. Why don't wait. you actually have to start thinking about yeah. whether you want to pay money or not? I'm like, oh, I gotta wait like three hours to like, you oh, know, no. shoot a gun again. It's like, no. Uninstall. No. Yeah, that's what I do. Let's see what people say. They're saying higher, lower. Some people are saying total four, lower, low. Actually, they're kind of torn on that one. Are you saying so? No, actually, most people are lower. Well, are you saying uh, including the ones already released? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I th- yeah, I think they'll get two more out before the end of before the the fire burns them to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's high low. Always a fun topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the news is slow, we go high low. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a game I've been playing over the last couple weeks. Um, it's, it's been out for a while on PC, mm-hmm. but it just now is releasing for consoles. I think it actually came out on Tuesday for PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, it's called Mutant Football League. Um, and it's kind of harkens back to that old school game from way back. Uh, Mutant but, League Football? Yeah, yeah, they've just kind of warped the name around a little bit. Well, it's Mutant Football League now. And it used to be called Mutant League Football. Um, Another EA franchise shoved in the back of the vault to never be seen again but i love so <laughs> i love that they've just kind of swapped the name around a little bit and managed to release this game ah the nuked london hatriots <laughs> yes <laughs> and so you may outwardly watch this and be like oh this is uh this is just another nfl blitz game and in a lot of ways it is it's an arcade style football game with over the top hitting and all that kind of thing but it's like the best NFL Blitz ever made. Like, I am pleasantly shocked at how good this game is. I hmm. saw a couple people last year gave this sports game of the year, and I kind of chuckled and, like, laughed at it. And I was like, oh, whatever. Well, one of my contacts was working on this game, and they were like, hey, we're sending out review codes. I was like, well, I'll check it out. I like football, and I haven't played an NFL Blitz for a really long time. So I figured I'd give it a whirl. And I've been pretty blown away by actually how, by how good this game is. It is... The core of it is NFL Blitz. And to be perfectly honest, it even has the same exact announcer as NFL Blitz. <laughs> Tom Brady is bomb shady. Oh, yeah. So they, they, <laughs> so they have mostly, like, they're all spoofs of real teams mm-hmm. and real players. Um, so if, you, say, you're a Patriots fan like Sam, like, even, like, as far as, like, the linemen and the receivers, they all are plays on the real players that are on the teams. And the team names, obviously, are plays on it as well. Um, and that's just the kind of tongue-in-cheek humor of the game. And you, there's Gronk there, Sam. Hmm. But do they have the bomb? The <laughs> bomb? Yeah, the play from Blitz. 
Oh, no, they don't. So like Blitz, the playbook is pretty limited, but it mixes things up pretty extremely. For instance, you can kill players. So if you hit another a player on the other team hard enough, and of course there's after play shenanigans where you can pile on an elbow drop into wrestling moves and all that sort of thing. You can actually kill players on the other team. Um, and then a, a reserve will come in that's not quite as good. But what makes this game different is that there are there are essentially power-ups in the game that you can use. And some of them are like crazy actions. Like you can get a chainsaw. And when someone comes up to tackle, you can just saw them in half. Hmm. Um, you can bribe the referees to basically, no matter right. what happens, call a playback. Um, you can transform players on your team to where they're like 40 feet tall or whatever. They're impossible to tackle. Um, and a lot of it is strategy and how you deploy those power-ups. Um, so I've, I've really been enjoying this this game, believe it or not. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I'll give it a whirl for a little bit. And the more I played it, the more I liked it. The better I got at it, the more I liked it, too. Um, and I think it's selling for, like, 15 bucks. It's Look, it's not Madden. It's not as deep as Madden. The playbook probably has 20 or 30 plays. Uh, but if you like the concept of American football and you like kind of over-the-top mm -hmm. arcade-style stuff. It kind of uh, looks like Blood Bowl. Yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah, well, Blood Bowl is Blood like a, a strategy it's game. It's a turn-based strategy game, yeah. This is full, real-time uh, football. So, I mean, uh, the original games were basically Madden with monsters. Yeah. Yeah, this is arcade-y. Because yeah, they made, uh, what, they made Mutant League Football and Mutant League Hockey back in the day? No, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about the hockey game, actually. I like those games. I also watched the cartoon. It was a Saturday morning cartoon. Of it. Really? Mutant League Sports, yeah. I, I, did, I, was, I did not know I that. I think it was just called the Mutant League, but yeah, it was like... Really? It was like, yeah, there were actual characters, and they all played different sports every week. But I know a lot of people have called for NFL Blitz to come back. There's really no reason for it to come back, because yeah. this is... I wanted the Mutant League stuff to come back, because I always thought that was fun. Uh, this game plays like Blitz. It's as good as the last NFL Blitz that was released, but it just has a lot more elements to it. To get, and I hate to say it, like it actually gives the game more depth. Mm. The over-the-top kind of power-ups that you can use and the abilities that you have. Um, it, it just gives it a, an extra layer of strategy uh, on top of the typical Blitz formula. It also makes it a lot more unpredictable as well. Because uh, like, there are parts, that, there are times where the field has like volcanoes in it, mm -hmm. and that affects like where you kick off. It's like, do you kick the ball near the volcanoes so that they have to navigate around the volcanoes while they're trying to return the ball? Uh, how, how much is it? Like 15 bucks, I think. Because like, the chat's saying it's full price in the UK. What? This does not seem like a full price game no, to me. No, I would not buy this for full price. Heads up. If, that's, if, if they're trying to get full price for this game, wherever you're living, do not buy it for full price. I would pay 20 for it, though, mm -hmm. if you like American football and you miss NFL Blitz. Um, obviously, it's not licensed, so you're not getting the real players, but I think they've done a pretty good job not only recreating the players with tongue-in-cheek, but also still giving those teams kind of the identity that they really have. Uh, Nuke, Nuke London Hatriots is great. I, I just <laughs> want to buy it just for that. But, I mean, if you play with this team, like, you're, you're a pretty balanced team. You can run the ball well. You can pass the ball well. If you play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, like, ripoff that they have in the game, like, they're pass-heavy. Their running game mm -hmm. isn't quite as good. You're better if you pass with them. So, what are they called? Uh, they're called, like, the Blitzburg something or other. I don't know. It's, mm. it's a, most of them are pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> The Blitzberg uh, Mithrils or something? They're like the iron, like the Blitzberg Ironworkers yeah. or some stupid crap. That's, Not all of them are as funny dull. as the Patriots name. But uh, 
But like I said, it's not really about like the trimmings. So you can see a saw going across the field right there. It's not necessarily about the trimmings in the game that make it good. It's just a really good arcade-style football game that's pretty well balanced despite all kind of the wacky hijinks that happen in the game. So um, didn't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it's something I've been playing. I wanted to give you at least five, five to ten minutes on it. I know some people hate Madden, but still like kind of the old arcade-style football games. And uh, this is a really, really good example of it. Uh, I have the PlayStation 4 version. It runs great. No slowdown, anything like that in the game. Um, yeah, so I recommend it. Uh, do not, I do not recommend buying it for $60. That's insane. Uh, 20 bucks is the most I would pay for this game, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and maybe that resets the market for arcade sports games as well. Mm. Although it does seem like, like a lot of arcade sports games are coming in now at like that $20, $25 mark. Yeah, seems about right. Yeah, because there's that, what, what was that basketball game that just came out not long ago? Hmm... Asking the wrong person. Yeah. But it, it was like 20 bucks. <laughs> it was like an indie game or whatever. But it actually had like licensed players in it. Mm. So so there you go. Mutant Football League, not Mutant League Football. Uh, we're going to talk next about bad games. And uh, out of curiosity the other day, I went on Metacritic and I tried to find what the worst games were of last year. I, I could not find it easily on the site. So I just went to Google and typed in, Worst Games of 2017. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, I found Metacritic's link to the Worst Games of 2017. And uh, I went and looked. It was basically a list of the 10 worst reviewed games of the year. And, like, the lowest score was, like, a 41. Mm -hmm. um, we don't use the whole scale very Well, often. that's part of it. The other part of it is that Metacritic doesn't have, like, all the crap games from Steam on there. Right. Like, a lot of the stuff that Jim Sterling covers or whatever it has fun with, uh, they're not on there. But... The worst game on there was like a 41 out of 100. And so it, it's kind of becoming apparent that games just, there just really aren't bad games anymore. Would you agree with that? Well, not if you look at the stuff Jim Sterling's playing. Yeah, but do those count as games? Well, they're there. I mean, you and I could finish the show today and sit down at the PC here and start pecking out some code. Does that mean that that's a game that should count as a bad yeah. game? I mean, it's like if you're talking about stuff that like outlets actually deign to review. Right. Like, yeah, games are probably better than. I mean, you're probably not going to get something as broken as Big Rigs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was an actual packaged product. Came out in a box. Yeah. <laughs> actually, people actually bought that. Uh, so one, games are not really bad anymore. I, I will say, of the top ten worst games of 2017, half of them were from Japan. Um, out of those, and the other five were from Europe. Mm. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What were some of them? Uh, there's B-roll. Sam, yeah. want to roll the, the B-roll? So this is that Switch game. It's called, like, Vroom something or other. <laughs> I can pull it up really quickly on the side. Yeah, it's not super dis unlike Big Rigs, really. Yeah, this was a Switch exclusive, Matt, from Japan. Oh, wow. Vroom in the Night Sky is the name of it. <laughs> that game looks pretty bad. Yeah, it's... it's Put a witch on a motorcycle and fly her through some rings. That's basically <laughs> Superman 64, right? <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good comparison. And then a lot of the other ones were, like, Japanese Vita games. Um, mm. <laughs> there was another one that was a Japanese game for a Switch as well. There was two Switch games out of ten that were on the list. And that's, that's pretty typical for, for a system like Switch that's a hit. Mm -hmm. And it's new on the market. There's a big the... rush to just get whatever you can onto the system, and that's really been happening with Switch, man. It's just what is this? Is turn this into like, like some a, fake ass. Is road, road rage? rage. Oh, yeah, some fake road rash. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's called Road Rage, so it's fake road rash. Um, and then there's Troll and I, which was... Mm. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I remember That's that. one of the ten worst review games of the year. Uh, but that tied into another category that I wanted... Or another topic that I want to discuss today. And that was Valve... Was that Valve pulled a developer from Steam for reviewing its own game. <laughs> <clears throat> Whoops. Yeah, this is, there's another high-quality product. <laughs> Look at that frame rate. Even Oof. in your trailer... You can't even get the frame rate good for your trailer. That's when you know you got problems. Cinematic. So, yeah. <laughs> I think this is Troll and I, actually. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, so that ties into the other topic I want to discuss, which was Valve pulling develop- a developer from Steam for review- reviewing its own Yeah, games. Jesus. That is not an endearing creature design, gentlemen. And the funny part is it's like your friend throughout right. the game. It's like your ally. <laughs> yep. So anyway, the thing I wanted to talk about was how this, how there are no bad games and how that ties into this problem that Valve is having with this developer who went and reviewed its own games and it kicked it off of Steam. Matt, do you think that's right? Look at these awards it got, by the way. PlayStation Haven. Heads up. Do not trust PlayStation Haven (laughs) for your game reviews. You know all the publications that signed off on putting their name in that trailer now completely regret it. They're like, oh God, what have we done? Um... But how do you feel about that, Matt? Do you not think it's okay to review your own game on Steam? Uh, you probably should not review your own game, no. Really? No. Well, it's like, not like you are you launched a website and you're trying to act like you're this editorial outlet and you're reviewing games no, anonymously. No, but you're messing with, the, you're messing with the, the aggregate score on the, on the Steam listing. And if you, some of these games are so small that who knows, you know, there's so few people who play them and then review them, like you might really be impacting the average and like might be you know fooling someone to thinking it's better than it is like I'm, i don't know but that so this is that's how it like, kinda... you shouldn't have to review your own game it should speak for itself like if people like it they'll review it so let me explain how it ties how those two topics tie into each other is the fact that there aren't a lot of bad games anymore and so most games are at least average at least i guess depending on what review scale that you actually use but they're just they're it's there are so many games on Steam, and most of them are adequate, at least, and not completely broken. And therefore, it becomes almost impossible for you to get any sort of exposure to any kind of audience. You're basically sending your game out to die on Steam, unless it has a big marketing budget or it's a AAA game, which those two things kind of go hand in hand. But imagine you work on a game... It's pretty good. You put it on Steam and nobody ever reviews it. No one ever even knows it ever exists. Well, welcome to G4, I guess. <laughs> like, really? I mean, like, yeah, it's a problem, but, like, that doesn't mean you start reviewing your own stuff. But like, why is that not okay, though? Well, I'm pretty isn't sure... Isn't it I... Valve's problem that it hasn't given enough exposure to the game to get actual reviews on there? I don't think that's related. Like, I think it's, it's like... I'm pretty sure I know what you think of your own game. Like, really? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? They're going to review their own game. Yeah. They're going to give it as high a score as possible. Yeah. So, like, I don't like that's not the way to do that. Like, I, I'm guess you got to use social media. You got to do what you, whatever you got to do to get the word out there. I mean, sure, I've discovered some games that never got anywhere, like Aztez. I think that should have been more successful than it was, but I don't yeah, think that's the, actually a great example. I don't yeah. think the solution to that was to start having the developers write their own reviews of it. Like, that's not going to make build any confidence. But look at it this way, Matt. So nobody is paying attention to their game. It had, like, no user reviews. They mm-hmm. review it. Valve kicks them off Steam. We're talking about it right now. We're not going to do them the service of telling people what the game is. 
but plenty of publications have. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, is that a win for the developers? I don't think getting kicked off the biggest marketplace for your your product on your chosen platform is really a win. But if you had zero sales in the first place and zero visibility, and now all of a sudden you're getting written about... Yeah, where are you going to buy it, though? Direct from them or GOG mm, or whatever. That's a lot, that's a lot of effort Hope to it. go through <laughs> to get something that couldn't even get its own reviews written. Like I, just, I, I What is the solution, though, for these developers that are just getting swallowed up? I don't know. Like, I don't know. If I knew that, I'd probably be doing that. Frankly, <laughs> it'd be um, your company. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> to expose. I mean, game. Steam is a giant juggernaut of 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 anonymity and and loss. I guess. I don't. I, I don't. I mean, some of these games do bubble up from nowhere. Player unknowns, battlegrounds. Like, it's not impossible, but it's just like anything else. Like, great success is rare. It is. I mean, um. Steam is becoming increasingly impossible mm -hmm. for most studios. And it depends what, I mean, you know, I, I find if you take a chance on a couple of things, you'll get shown more stuff like that. Their algorithm's not bad. That's one of the reasons Jim Sterling thinks Steam is full of terrible games, because he keeps he's, buying them. He's buying and so playing he, terrible I've games. I've never so. seen any of that stuff served up to me, ever, yeah, and it's because yeah. I don't buy them. You right. Know? Even when I look at them, because like Jim will do one of those Jim Pressions things, and I'll and I'll go go look. I'm like, yeah, it's a real thing. Look at that. It's right there. Like, <laughs> a, he didn't invent it. It's yeah. right there. Um, you know, and sometimes, but sometimes I see stuff that comes out of nowhere. One of my friends did on Steam did some thing where he liked whatever. And it was like a dating game about dating dragons or some shit. So for for a period of, and I was like, what the hell is that? And I, so for a period of time, like I kept getting dragon dating games popped into my. There's like four of them. Yeah. And like I'm like, would I have ever seen that otherwise? No. But like, I, am I gonna buy them? No. But I saw them. Yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe pick a better screenshot. Uh, most of, most of them do not have very good art. Yeah. I surprisingly <laughs> That's enough. A shocker. Uh, I mean, the other thing that kind of brought this topic up for me is that. In the last few months, there's been four or five uh, patrons or sifted subscribers who have told me that they're working on indie games. And uh, they've been asking me for help. They're like, how do I get noticed? How do I connect with an indie publisher like Devolver mm -hmm. or one of the other guys? Uh, what should I do at E3? Yeah, I mean, I think... Because they're all coming up against this wall where they're working on projects that maybe a lot of people would like, but there's zero chance of anyone ever discovering them. Right, well, I think, you know, you got to submit to the whatever those, in, all those indie That's what I was telling them. Like, you need to you enter get, the festivals. That's get into your... the festivals, get into pack. I mean, look, man, Devo I can tell you from experience, Devolver will look at almost anything. Yeah. Like, even if they're not interested in publishing it, they will give you advice and they will help you where they can because those guys, for as edgy and crazy as the, they're, they're, you know, they're... they're PR front is those guys love games. They love independent games. They love independent games creators, and they they want to see great creators, and they want to help you. Yeah. And I have hooked a couple people up with Devolver here and there, and they were it was always a very positive experience uh, in their estimation after the fact. So I would say you know if you got a good game, if you got a game that like you know you can d demo in front of somebody like easily on a tablet or on a on whatever, like bring a copy of it, go to PAX, walk up to the Devolver booth and say I want to talk to somebody yeah. about my game. And you you might get lucky. I mean, they might be able to. I mean, I've had I know a couple people who did that and they got to talk to the president of the company. He's like, "Yeah, I'll sit down and talk to you. Let's do it." Like it's you know, you just got to get out there and and do that. And then like that's I think where the hype builds for these I hear about those indie games because they show up at these indie festivals or at PAX. And buzz builds around them, and then I'll, and then like I'll mention someone will mention something about like oh, 
this is coming out. Remember this from that thing last year? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll go look that up. You know, I've gone and found, that's how I found Aztez. Is like, I remember somebody mentioned that at some PAX thing or something. And I saw a thing maybe on Sifted, maybe, or it said, like, this is coming out soon or something. something yeah, we did, we did a dossier and it was in it. Yeah, yeah. and like, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll take a look at that. And like, I bought it. That's how it sold, sold it to me. But if, if it had just gone up on Steam with no... No fan, you know, no exposure beforehand at like these festivals and these kind of shows. Like I would never have heard of it. Do you think Steam needs a better filter before it's, it allows games onto its platform? Maybe. It, it almost feels like Steam is becoming over time like a self-defeating cycle, where the more products that get on there, the less well the products do. Maybe I gotta know the metrics on that, but like. Or the what that would take, like I mean, it seems, I mean, think it about it. These guys to... got so desperate that they reviewed their own game, right? But also, I mean, it seems obvious to me that things like the asset flip games that Jim plays all the time shouldn't be there, right? Um, which you know, if 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 they weren't there, maybe it would be an easier market, or it would be you'd be have less skepticism over something you'd never heard of. I mean, I certainly feel that way about things. If something pops up that I've never noticed or seen before, I'll definitely look at it sideways for a bit before I figure. I try to figure out is this a real game or is it just like a quick you know, quick cash in kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell, you know, and you've got tons of like these RPG maker made games on there. And like, they're literally like, made by literally made, yeah. they made a game with a game and now they're trying to sell it. Yeah. And like, you know, usually it's not you know, like two bucks or something, yeah. but it's still, it's like, you're looking, it's like, do I, you know, you get a taste of it, get a sense of it. Is it written like, you know, above a fourth grade level? Like, right. you know, not always. Yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to sift through all that stuff, but at the same time, there is still an audience for it somewhat. Uh, some people like that stuff. Because we even, we even have that problem with sifted, because it's like, where do we draw the line of curation? It's mm. like, how do you decide whether a debut trailer for a game gets added to sifted into the machine or not? In fact, one of our curators gets asked me that question this week. He's like, uh, What's the hard and fast rule for whether we should add games into the database or not? And there really is no hard or fast rule. It's like you watch and you do a little research and you learn about the game and then you try to decide whether it's worthy or not because you have to draw the line somewhere because there are so many games that are not that are announced every day or every week or whatever. You can't add them all. And I feel like Steam has it does add them all. Like, it's mm. just like, whatever. Like, you just send us your stuff. We'll put them in the database. You got a trailer. You got some screenshots. Up it goes. And I don't feel like that that... I mean, we won't do that on Sifted because it's not going to do our users any good to load up the site with shovelware that's going to corrupt their feeds and junk up the algorithm for their feeds. And obviously, Valve and Steam... Steam is run on algorithms. And I mm -hmm. feel like it's doing the same thing over there. But they have failed to institute that, that break point. Um, and I don't think there is a clear delineation of what should or shouldn't be added. It's having someone with, with experience and knowledge looking at each one of those products and deciding whether it should be added. And that's what we do essentially on Sifted. Um, we don't always get it right. I'm sure there are games on Sifted that have never got a single view that, you know, we've mm -hmm. curated a trailer and no one ever watched even that trailer even once or whatever. I'm sure we don't get it always right, but it seems to me that Valve has just gone... And I, I feel like Valve's heart is in the right place. It wants to support any developers. Well, like they're very busy. Devolver. They're very busy making Half-Life 3. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like its heart is in the right place. It's just misplaced. Mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to help indie developers, but I think in its quest to help indie developers, is actually hurting indie developers. Because 
Flappy Bird maybe is a good example. Like, you don't want to completely close everything off because you never know. This game that you see that seems really stupid or ridiculous could have, could catch fire. Flappy Bird seems like a really dumb game to me, but it became a phenomenon. So you don't want to... Until the developer shut it down and ran away. Right, <laughs> exactly. So you don't want to just... You can't have that at first blush judgment mm -hmm. where you look at something for five seconds and say, oh, that looks cheap, done. But like that's, that's retail. You know, that's also, that's how people shop. Like yeah. That's, is, it can't really change that. You can make it easier to find things, but like, I feel like I find things pretty often that like aren't necessarily huge mainstream, like, you know, promoted hits. Like, I've, I've had a couple indie games that I mentioned where you're like, I don't even have that in the database. Like, Rogue Galaxy was not in the, yeah. not in the database, uh, even though I thought it was a pretty high profile thing. Yeah. And, uh, or even as, I mean, as Tez, I thought I was kind of being like a, a little like, oh, this is going to be the new hype thing, and I'm, I'm going to play it anyway, and I'm going to talk about it. But it turned out like we were the only ones that talked about it. Like, no one ever talked, yeah. yeah we were, it, that was just us, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I find stuff pretty often. I'm sure I miss things. I'm sure there's, you know, I don't see everything that's worth something, but like, it, it seems okay to me for the most part. And like, uh, I don't know. I think, I think excessive gatekeeping has its own problems in that regard. You know, we had the, like the chat also mentioned like that one game that GOG uh, refused to, uh, Opus Magnum, I think it was. They, they refused to put it on the thing, even though it was like a full-fledged real game. And like, there was a whole outcry about them not doing that. So like, you kind of hit this, this fuzzy area where you're like, where do you draw the line? And I can kind of see why Valve just wouldn't want to, you know, deal with that sort of constant backlash. And instead, it's just like, yeah, there's some bad stuff on there, and it's hard to find some of the good stuff. But, like, it's better than, oh, everybody loved this game, but we said no, and now we're the bad guys about it. And, uh, you know, like, I, I can see why you'd want to avoid that constant PR disaster. But it's a hard line to walk. And I know they keep saying, like, having meetings with people, Sterling and all these other people, about improving it, but are they improving? I don't know. Like, I don't... That's the other thing. Well, Valve like... uses the word curation a lot. Right. And to me, Steam is anything but curated. Anything but. Well, they, they talk about, like, community curation. They talk about the cream rising to the top because we review them or, re or comment on them or buy the good stuff and don't buy the bad stuff and, like, you know... You know, and, and some, you know, I, pretty often I get stuff in the, you know, like the, the discovery queue or whatever that is. Like, it's pretty, it seems pretty uh, varied. And like, a lot of times I get stuff, I'm like, why are you showing me this? It's like, this is in your queue because we just thought we'd see if you're interested. I'm like, well, I'm not. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because look, maybe I wouldn't mind seeing some more like mid-tier indie games instead of like every five, all 5,000 free-to-play Korean MMO games that keep because popping up. Because you played Black Desert Online. Or I, that, happened, that happened when I started to play Secret, the Secret World yeah. uh, for a little while when they did an update. And all of a sudden, every Steam just threw every free-to-play MMO you could imagine at me. I mean, and I'm look, like, there's a lot of those. It's not did just Steam that's doing that. That's happening all over the internet mm -hmm. it's like you search for something and you're going to be bombarded by ads for right. that for the next like six weeks and youtube's least. like that too it's like yes i know i watched one episode of this thing i doesn't mean yeah i watched one video about like i don't know electromagnets that doesn't mean i suddenly want to learn about superconductors every time i go to <laughs> youtube you know yeah it's uh, but i get why they do it that way it's just you know that's how the algorithm works but uh do i have a solution for that again no i don't you know i don't even I don't even know what game you're talking about. <laughs> well, we don't want. Well, obviously, we don't want to advertise it because right. they they were doing something shady. But uh, everyone else has mentioned the name of the game. Um, but why, I just why don't is, think it's why right. Why is it Gone Daddy? Is that reference the game? The uh, Gone Daddy Gone. No, it's not. Subtitle? It's actually not. No. I was like, oh, because if they remove Dream Daddy, we're going to have some words. 
Well, the the you know, Gone Daddy you... Gone's in reference to the fact that bad games are oh, okay. a thing of the past, truly bad games. I thought maybe it's like, is, oh, did they remove Dream Daddy? Oh no. <laughs> Which I'm like, no, that can't happen. We got to keep Dream Daddy. So you're not okay with reviewing your own product on on a site that allows user reviews? No, because you're not a user. You're the maker. Like on Sifted, like I give Game Face a much uh, one up when we put up the episode. Do you not? I do. Isn't like, that kind of the same thing? Not really. Like, it's not, it's, you know, well, are the reviews, like, clearly by the developer? Yeah, well, I mean, no, they didn't, like, full disclosure, we made Well, I exactly. Made like, that's, bleh. come on. Like, that's, that's not cool. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it, because I'm like, is it their fault that there weren't enough people exposed to the game to offset their two reviews that they reviewed it with? No, but it's their fault that they're reviewing their own pro- I mean, I don't care, I don't need your opinion on your own product. Like... Here's the thing, though, Matt. Developers, all of them are reviewing their own games. All of them. Like, if you don't think the guys who worked on Assassin's Creed Origins aren't going to Metacritic and saying, this is the best game I've ever played, I played it for three months and I'm still playing it, you don't think developers of all those games are doing that? They're all doing it. The only reason that these guys are getting called out is because there's no discovery in place for other people to discover the game so that there aren't just five reviews for the game there. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I guess it sucks that they got caught if that's really what happened. But I also, like, I know the internet well enough to think that, like, I guess all the people reviewing things from Ubisoft or whatever must be using false names because I guarantee some some dude out there is cross-referencing all the Metacritic user review names with the credits <laughs> to find out who's doing it because that well, is, I mean, that is a use... thing someone's doing. Yeah, but I don't use Shane Satterfield anywhere online. Like I have right. my Dinfire alias or whatever. Like everyone. I mean, I don't aliases. like that either. But like, if I could, if I you could call those people out, I would too. But like, I just don't. I think everyone's jumping on these guys for doing this, and I think they're getting routed for something that pretty much all developers do. That doesn't make it right. Eh, I don't. It's know. at least dishonest. Yeah. I mean, you even called it shady five minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, it is dishonest, without a doubt. I mean, if you're not going to disclose in your review that, hey, I worked on this game, it is. But it's also happening everywhere. All these developers are reviewing their own games on aggregate sites. I guarantee it. All right. Well, I don't like that either. But it, I don't, yeah, <laughs> like, but it, I don't know what's But when there's 8,000 reviews on Metacritic for Assassin's Creed Origins, you're just a drop in the bucket, and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you comprise... 50% of the user reviews on Steam. Well, then you got to be smart enough to know when to do the dishonest shit. Yeah, you got to make sure you're at someone else's house when you write the review yeah. or something. I don't even know how they got caught, to be honest with you. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't you... know. I guess IP? Or they use their Val's own name? Yeah, Val. <laughs> or maybe they did use their own name. They used Gabe and Magic. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to jump to another really fun topic, which is called Would You Rather? Again, when the topics are low, we do fun stuff like this. Uh, This is basically where... You guys know what Would You Rather is. Everyone's played this. I would think so. Not in the context of video games, maybe, but I'm sure out in the real world they have. And I got four questions for you, Matt. And again, Matt has not seen these questions at all. So he's getting these clean and right off the cuff right here. So here's your first one, Matt. Would you rather own a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One X? And And I specifically wrote this for you. Because you have both the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X. Mm-hmm. And you've owned the One X now for a good bit of time. And I think your judgment on this probably matters a good bit. I would say a PS4 Pro. 
Still. Um, huh? Just because the, the exclusive stuff for that is stuff I'd rather play in a higher quality. I mean, if I get rid of the Xbox One X, I lose my 4K movies, but I... That's why I wrote the question that way, because you get other benefits from the One X right. aside from games. But I play... I'm going to be playing the, the pro the games more. And, like, if I really can't have an Xbox One X, I can get a 4K player. Okay. Separate. Fair enough. But I cannot get anything else that plays Horizon Zero Dawn in HDR. It's true. Uh, so, basically, what you're saying is PS4 Pro is close enough to Xbox One X that the added functionality of 4K Blu-ray isn't enough to put the X over the top. I would say that Sony's first-party lineup is strong enough that it doesn't that the the added features of the Xbox One X do not counteract it. Gotcha. Maybe if Xbox had a stronger exclusive lineup, but it doesn't. Okay. Next one. Although I will admit uh, I am kind of leaning on board to the whole like buy the multi-platform stuff on Xbox again. Because I think they're... But on again, Xbox One X. Xbox One X, right. But it's, again, I'm kind of waiting for the Digital Foundry stuff on that, too. Because yeah. I, I got Kingdom Come on Xbox One X, assuming it would perform better on Xbox One X. But, like, I don't know until, you know, Digital Foundry puts up a comparison or something. Well, I believe, if you go to Sifted right now, I think, in fact, sort it by today... I think I saw earlier. Oh, uh, yeah, there it is. Right there it is. Well, I'll watch it when I get home. Yep. <laughs> since, I, since I'm not playing it anymore. Yep. So there you go. When you get home, you can see which one's the best. But uh, Yeah, Sony, Sony's first-party output is so strong that and something I would want to play in the highest quality. Okay. So I would pick that if I had to. All right, the next one. Would you rather buy a new graphics card for your PC or a console? A console, because installing a new graphics card sucks. I'm assuming that you don't, that, I'm not talking about you specifically. Mm -hmm. Say you're somebody who has an old graphics card and doesn't have a console. Right. Would you instruct them to buy a new graphics card or get a console? It depends what they want to play. But like, if, you, if you're assuming something that's the same all around. And like, let's forget the fact that GPUs right now are like double priced right, because like, of Bitcoin mining. Right. Let's just take that part off the table. Um, it depends if they're willing to do the, you know, take the computer apart and put the thing in. Like well, assume that they will. Yeah. Well, I'd say graphics card, probably. Over a console. Unless they want to play PlayStation games. Yeah. I mean, it's going to, you know, if you're, if you're just talking about getting the best performance and the best looking stuff, like, you're going to get it on a PC. Um, unless you also want... I've been spending, I will say this, I've been spending a lot more time with PC gaming the last mm -hmm. month. And, um, for uh, whatever reason, a lot of the preview code and stuff I've been getting has been coming in on PC, and I've been playing and spending a lot more time PC gaming than I have in a really, really yeah, long time. Yeah, I'm beginning to regret not waiting for the the PC version of Kingdom Come. Oh, really? I feel like it'd be easier to tweak. Probably. With the bugs. Yeah, you could go in and mess with the, the files and yeah. maybe get it to, maybe have the, the crowdfunded fix, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I played Subnautica on PC. It was great. Anyway, PC's great. It's it's just like if you it just doesn't help you if you want the added things that consoles give you and you know in terms of the you know, 4K player or couch play or whatever. I mean I can I can Steam Link to the to the main TV in my in my living room, but like there's a lag to it. Yeah, like, I I I will not I I've had my Steam Link now for like a month and a half, and I have come to the conclusion I really cannot play games. It's fun. I mean I I try to play uh, Arkham City, and it's just the lag there's is no too way. is too much. You can't do the counters. 
So it's a nice trick. I can't play but, a shooter on it. I yeah. can't play any action game. Like, it's good for, like, turn-based stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to stream basically whatever's on my monitor of my PC out to my TV. Yeah. And it looks great and it sounds great. But to play games on it, and mine's hardwired. I don't know if yours is. Yeah. Mine's hardwired. It doesn't seem to... Yeah, PC's hardwired and, and the and the Steam Link's hardwired. Me too. Like it's just, it doesn't... I mean, the speed of light is a thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> All right, next question. And this one I wrote personally for you, because I know you're a fan of one of these games. Would you rather get a new F-Zero for Switch or a new Banjo-Kazooie for Xbox One X? I would rather get a new Banjo-Kazooie. Wow, you surprised me with that one. Well, because I don't play racing games as long as I'd like to think I do. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to see F-Zero again. Um, but I'd like if it was a full fledged like no bullshit banjo three, banjo three uh, e. Like I would I would be more into that. Uh, the, my my thing is that I don't really feel like the people who could make that exist anymore, but or are t- are a part of the team anymore. You know what I mean? Because like Rare made ban- nuts and bolts, which was not acceptable to me, and the people who made banjo made uh, ukulele, which was also not particularly good. Um, so, I, so I guess I'd say, like, in an ideal world, if you're talking about, like, both games are going to come out as good as they possibly could, I would sure. prefer Banjo. But in a real-world scenario, F-Zero would probably be the better game. So maybe... Yeah, I, so depending I'm, on who developed it, I Yeah, guess. so in a magical, perfect world, Banjo. In our world, F-Zero. I, I, would, I agree with you. I would choose Banjo as well. Uh, I would love to see what a Banjo game would look like on mm-hmm. Xbox One X. <laughs> Holy cow. And I will say, also say this, like... My faith in a rare has been restored somewhat uh, after playing Sea of Thieves mm. because it had kind of been stuck working on these Connect games for the last several years. Oh, I hate this game! I oh, I know can't. nuts and bolts. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so not what I wanted. I know, from... I, know, I know. And we waited so long for it yeah. too, and that's what we got. But I, my faith in rare has been somewhat restored after playing Sea of Thieves. Obviously, we've talked about it. We both have kind of issues with it here and there. Mm-hmm. But it proves to me that Rare can still make a really big game and make it really polished and really fun. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I would also choose BK on Xbox One X. How glorious would that game freaking look? Here's the last one. Would you rather, as a PlayStation 4 owner, buy a second console or get PlayStation VR? I mean, I guess... Because I think a lot of people are in that situation right now. Yeah. I mean, like, a, like an Xbox? Like an Xbox or a Switch. Or get PlayStation VR. I mean, I would... I, hmm. I would get another console. Yeah. Yeah. PlayStation VR is cool, but since I moved in November, I have not taken it out of the box. Yeah. But uh, you've had it for a while. Yeah, but at the same time, I can't imagine... Look, if you got to pick one, I can't imagine you're getting more enjoyment out of the VR right now, the PlayStation VR right now, than you would from, like, Mario and Zelda. I, uh, mean, I, I you... agree with you 100% as far as raw time of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. No question. But it's a different kind of enjoyment with PlayStation VR. Yeah, it's just... Mm, uh, if, if I had to pick, like, another console is not a que- it's not a question. It'd be one of the... I mean, probably a Switch. Like, if I, it was, yeah. if I just had a PlayStation, I know other modern consoles, and you say... You can have one of these other things. Pick one. I'm pretty sure I picked the one with Zelda on it. You take Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Just to play Zelda and Mario. I mean, frankly, I mean, longevity be damned. 
uh, I want to play those two games more than I want to play anything on P PlayStation VR and anything in the immediate future of Xbox. I don't know. I mean, I look. I have PlayStation VR, and I hardly ever use it either. Mm -hmm. It's still collecting dust underneath my uh, in my entertainment center. But I do think about the first month or two that I had it. It was pretty magical at first. Yeah. Um, and there are some pretty good games coming out this year. So I will give Sony credit, despite it not doing exceptionally well. It is not bailed on it. And there yeah, are still still tons being supported of, of games that appear well, they might be good. I think that's been the problem with VR is that there's been a lot of stuff that appeared like it might be good, and ultimately it wasn't. Um, but again, I know that because I've owned one. So, um, I don't know. I guess the whole, the whole crux of the question is, do you want to be able to play exclusives from Nintendo or Microsoft, or do you want to be able to play VR? I guess is really what the question is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big sucker for exclusive stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, most people are, I think. Especially the Sony and Nintendo stuff are basically the reasons to own those systems. They always have been. Yeah. I mean, that's why I had a PlayStation 3. Uh, I never played multi-platform stuff on it. I only played Sony stuff on it because they made stuff that I thought was worth having that system for. And uh, I think Nintendo generally makes stuff that's worth having their system for. Um, PlayStation VR may be that eventually, but I don't think it's there yet. And in the mean, I'll take the Switch right now and I'll deal with the PlayStation VR when something comes out that I desperately have to play. The other thing with Switch, too, is that you're getting the console slash handheld in one system. So you're also getting yourself a portable gaming yeah. system along with it. Well, I don't care it, about that. Which will obviously but... never happen with PlayStation VR. Right. Well, at least not, I would say not never. But... Not tremendously portable, really. No. <laughs> Especially because it has that cable that is tethered right. to the actual... HMD. Like you want to give, you want to say a magical PlayStation VR uh, headset that has no cords on it. Then we're talking. But I think if you're talking about current lineup and having access to that, and I mean, I think the Switch wins for me, and just in, just as a Zelda fan. So you're also kind of picking Switch over Xbox One X right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the X. I mean, I got the Xbox One X for for 4K playback on movies, like. Not because I wanted to play Gears of War 4 again. You yeah. Know, like maybe, maybe, eventually, I'm sure there'll be stuff on there that's amazing and it's great and I can't wait. But right now, I'm just like, oh, I need a 4K player. The other 4K players are, you know, why, if I'm. As much as the yeah, it's, Xbox it's, One X. Or you get an Xbox One. You might one. as well get the console with it. Right. I get the one that's more future proofed. That's just what I did. All right. Maybe, maybe it was a dumb move, but like maybe an Xbox One S would have been a smarter move. Well, it's never, it's not going to go away. No. So it would never be a dumb move. Eventually, you're going to be able to play the exclusives on there. And you're going to be able to play them for 10 bucks a month as well. So. Right. <laughs> All right. So that's it for Would You Rather. Hopefully we don't have to pull these, these uh, <laughs> topics out again for a few months. I didn't think we have to do it again so soon, but that's just kind of the way February is rolling right now. Uh, it's time for our trailer of the week. Uh, there was, this is an easy week to pick the trailer of the week mm -hmm. because there was nothing else except for one awesome trailer. Um, and that is Kingdom Hearts 3. They showed off at, what's it called, D23? That yeah, happened. D23 in, in Japan? Yep. Yeah, in Japan happened, and they showed off a brand new trailer for Kingdom Hearts 3, which, the big news here, Matt, is that Square Enix is still sticking to 2018. Yeah, believe it, it or not. On the record there, said this year. So it looks like Kingdom Hearts 3 might be coming this year, uh, and they unveiled at D23 Monsters, Inc. Let it roll. Irundaro! もっと
あえて久しぶりと言わせてもらおうそら久しぶり知ってるあるのお前の記憶になくても私はお前のことをよく覚えているこそあの黒いモヤモヤをやっつけるぞ作戦開始だワンツー待てリリ真心込めて脅かしますあっ危ないあいつらは一体誰だうわまずいよサーリーこんなとこ見られたらこんにちは俺は空だよ君は人間を見ても平気なんだねマイクはザースキー違うよブー俺がマイクだよマイクはザースキー俺はサリーでこいつは知ってるってマイクはザースキーだろはの心に眠る俺の半分が必要だバニタスベンテスそんなところに隠れていたとはな俺の心の残滓There you go, Kingdom Hearts 3, looking pretty good. Yeah, it looks a little, looks a little too good for Kingdom Hearts. Like, it feels like Kingdom Hearts shouldn't look that good. <laughs>、uh, we were talking while we were watching the trailer, and I asked Matt, is he going to buy this on PlayStation 4? Or is he going to buy it for Xbox One X? Because he said in the past that this is one of those franchises that you expect to play on PlayStation.、Mm-hmm. And you said, I guess I'll wait and see if there's any notable difference. Because、uh, like, it's like if I was, an, if I was like, just playing stuff to play it myself, like a normal consumer or whatever, I'd probably be waiting until after release dates for things because I'd want to see like the digital foundry comparison between. Because it's not like the 360 PS3 era where like. The, you pretty much knew. You knew the 360 <laughs> version was going to run, run better. I think,、yeah. I think like there was maybe two games that I think like Burnout Paradise and like one other game I think 
ran better on the PlayStation 3 with better bells and whistles. But, like, sometimes, like, you know, Xbox One X doesn't run better. It's like, like that was the problem with Red Out, where, like, it's, you know, it runs smoother on PlayStation because the Xbox One X version is trying to do enough that it's tanking the frame rate a little bit right, in places. Right. So it's like, and I'd rather have smooth performance than extra visual stuff. Like, I don't mind 60 or 30. I, like, you know, either one, either Make frame sure rate. Stick frame, it. But, but it should be steady. Like Fluctuating steady frame rates are the worst, yeah. dude. That's when you get sick. That's what makes me sick. No, no, no. I'll wait around. I mean, I'm, yeah, to me, Kingdom Hearts is a PlayStation franchise for the most part, even though it's been on, you know, DS and yeah. stuff. But, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, probably. Probably I'll stick to PlayStation, just have them all next to each other on the shelf. You know? <laughs> well, hopefully this year we'll be able to find out. Yeah. It's looking like it's going to make it yeah, this year. Yeah, they keep, they keep I don't saying it. it. They keep saying that. That's on, that's on my team, right? Is I, it, I think it's your... Is it your... So I'm going ninth an pick. Or is it? My, my ninth and tenth pick, I think, were Kingdom Hearts 3 and Elder Scrolls 6. No, I, I went crazy. Oh, yeah, them. yeah, knowing that you had the substitutes. Knowing I had the substitutes right, yeah. if they fall out yeah. or don't exist in the case so of So now I hope Scrolls. it doesn't come out. No, I don't. I want everyone to be able to play it. Uh, before we move on to questions, and I can see there's a bunch in here already, if you want to ask us something, at Sifted Games so we can pick it out of the chat. Uh, just a friendly reminder that if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can give us two bucks for free this month just by clicking the link just above to the top right of the player. Um, you got to link your accounts between Twitch and Amazon, and then you just subscribe to us, and you essentially give us $2. And it's turned out to be a great revenue stream for us, so if you would do that, we'd appreciate it very much. Let's get to the questions. Uh, the Legacy, have you played Celeste? I still have not played it. Have you? Nope. Okay, me either. Uh, w. Matthew, who always asks great questions. Given Capcom messed up so, uh, Marvel so badly, do you think Marvel should go to Arc System Works to make a Marvel fighting game? Uh, would Marvel accept the fighting game in anime art style like Arc does? Um, I think we actually talked about this last week, although some of yeah. you may not know because the show is only audio. Uh, we mentioned this at Arc System Works made Dragon Ball Fighters, and uh, that they're probably a good target for this. Mm -hmm. But I think the the relationships there with Capcom and Cap, we know Capcom can make a good game out of it. They just have to make a good game. Like, yeah. like, whatever happened with Infinite, just make don't do that again. Like like give them the resources, give them the bandwidth. You know, maybe wait until the Fox purchase is final, so so that Marvel's okay promoting the X Men and the Fantastic Four again. Because I think losing characters like Wolverine, Storm, Magneto, Doctor Doom, like really put a damper on things. Um, I think I think you're fine just going back, sticking with Capcom and doing it right this time. Also, I should mention uh, the next Arc System Works fighter is Blast Blue Cross Tag Battle, and that's coming mm -hmm. out pretty soon. Um, so if you're kind of looking for that next fix from Arc System Works, keep and an eye on that And one. it's in Evo, for God's sake. It is, yeah. Weird. Um, yeah, you may want to follow that on Sifted. Uh, as a reminder to follow a game on Sifted to make sure you get everything in your Sift, just go to its game page, uh, and then click the little gear next to its title, and just select from the drop-down there. And then everything, every time we, we curate something from that game, it will be sure to show up in your Sift. Um, Justin Horman, with the Super NT being released recently, what is your dream console to get an F? PGA facsimile. FPGA facsimile. I don't facsimile? know what that means. What is that acronym? I don't know. F A. Some kind of some kind of PG. Uh, I don't even know. Some kind of emulator thing. Maybe he can uh, clarify and then we'll answer it. Um, Derek D one 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 DK had me wondering. Do you know what happened to Daniel Kaiser? I absolutely do know what happened to Daniel. Daniel is working at Epic. Uh, along with a lot of former people from GT. So um, Jeremy Hoffman, who is a producer of Game Trailers TV on Spike, 
is at Epic. Megan Rue, who was uh, like our kind of our coordinating producer at GT. She made sure we always had camera crews when we needed them, made sure we had rooms when we needed them to record and stuff like that. You guys probably know Megan. She mm. ended up going on Invisible Walls uh, after I had left a couple times. She was on there. Also worked with Matt and I at G4. Uh, she's at she's there now, and DK is there as well. Um, DK is handling, he's kind of like a PR guy now um, at Epic. Uh, he seems to be liking his job. I talked to him at E3, and he and I text about hockey here and there. Um, but he seems to be liking the job there. I know Jeremy loves his job there. I've not talked to Megan since she left uh, LA to go out to North Carolina, so I don't know how she's doing. But Megan was on our one Patreon drive stream, begging people to uh, hmm. contribute to our Patreon. So, uh, yeah, the, like, a whole little segment of people from GT are now working at Epic Games, and DK is one of them. So I guess it's hardware emulation they're talking about. They're, talk- oh. they're talking about like the like the NT, like the Super NT, like hardware. Actual literature, like what not does, software. But I want to know what does FPGA mean? I don't know. <laughs> fully tell us. Fully play. I hate not knowing gaming. something. Uh, but my answer to that would be the Saturn. So he's asking what console, what console you would like you to get. To have a perfect, not just emulated, but but you know, play on HDMI, upres everything properly. I would I would pick Saturn because I have a whole lot of Saturn games that I can't really play anymore. That's a good pick. Um... Hmm, that's a tough one. It would be either Saturn or Dreamcast for me. I mean, I'm the Sega fan. I would go Dreamcast 100% because I feel like the Dreamcast would benefit the most from having an HDMI out. Well, I got to say, I, I've got mine set up through, uh, it's a VGA box, and then yeah. it goes through the HDMI. It looks looks pretty damn good. It does, yeah. Uh, Saturn, I don't have any real, you know, S-Video is as good as it gets, and it doesn't look too great, and, the Sat- and my Saturn is uh, a little creaky. I just think um, Saturn games just look... Because at first I was like, oh, the N64, but I was like, no, like, I've played, like, N64 games on the Ultra mm-hmm. HLE emulator, and, like, <laughs> sure, they look clear, but some, I think the, some of those games were designed so that the textures were supposed to be blurry. Yeah. If you see them crystal clear, I think that it sometimes makes them look worse. Uh, but Dreamcast was, like, the first console, I feel like, that kind of was over that edge, where... Mm-hmm. If the higher resolution you look at the graphics, they don't actually look worse. They do look better. Right. And so I would say, yeah, Dreamcast for me. Well, for me, it's Saturn just because... Which Saturn... is just on the other side. Yeah. yeah, Saturn has so many games that just never went beyond the Saturn. You know, you can't play them except there. That's true. You know, it's like, I want... I mean, look, I'd buy that just to play Dragon Force in yeah. a decent form again. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, and there's, I have a lot of imports. I don't think it'd be very popular, though. No, I don't Probably think so. Probably wouldn't do very well. It'd, be, it'd have to be a very limited run, but uh, I would buy Unless it. Unless they loaded it with Dr- Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... If they loaded that on there and people had access to that game, it might be the best-selling micro console ever. I, mean, I don't think you could do that. Yeah. But uh, how... I guess you'd rip it from an existing copy or something. I don't know. I mean, Sega probably doesn't care. I was just saying, if they made, like, a micro console, an official one, like, right. they could maybe load it on there. But that's not what FPGA not or yet. whatever. That's, yeah. it's, this is, like, this analog NT thing. Like, it's... Like, very, I would buy a Saturn off that, so I could play that. I could, because the other thing about the Dreamcast, almost anything worth playing on the Dreamcast has moved forward to future systems. Yeah, I think we talked about that last week as well. Yeah. Except for Power Stone, right? Yeah, except for Power Stone and Cannon Spike. Yep. Those are the two I can think of that never made it forward. Okay, Alex Sifted Mod. What's up, Alex? Thanks for modding, bro. In your dream scenario, what de- developer would you like to see take on the Star Wars game for Disney? Someone on Sifted mentioned Bethesda doing a single-player game. I think that would be great, as well as a Telltale Star Wars. Hmm. 
Telltale upgrade. Naughty there. Dog. I mean, that's a, that's an obvious yeah. answer, I think. For what? Star Wars? Yeah. Mm. Dude, Naughty Dog would make an awesome Star Wars game. Mm. It may not come out for like eight years. It but... would look awesome. I don't really care about Neil Druckmann's take on the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I guess that does matter. You got to think about the people behind it. Uh, so on, on the flip side of that, maybe Insomniac, Ted and Team. I would like to, I would like to see Insomniac's take on it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's two good options. Yeah. I would also like to see what Sucker Punch could do with it. Yeah. I think I'd be more interested in that once I see what Ghost of Tsushima is, though. Yeah. Because... Star Wars is nothing if not a samurai epic, so they'd, they'd be primed for it. Um, Super Court on Blue. What are the gaming conventions outside of E3 that indie devs should attend? When are they? I know of PAX West. How about BlizzCon? BlizzCon, no. No. BlizzCon is not the place you want to go if you're an no, indie a, developer trying to shop your game around. That's not a good idea. GDC. GDC. Absolutely happens next month in San Francisco. You could probably still get in. It's kind of expensive, though, if you just kind of pay bit. your way in. And then you got you know, to get a hotel somewhere in San Francisco, which is pricey, and then I guarantee you won't be anywhere near there, so you have to get transportation. But... That's GD- what, but that's what GDC that's where, is for. That's what GDC is. Is what yeah. it's for people who are willing to look at portfolios and and talk to students and talk to new people. I mean, that's I you see like that a, all the time. It's like a uh, it's like a job fair for video yeah, games. A little bit. Like you yeah. go there, and if if you go to one of the bottom floors, they literally will have developers and publishers with tables there, mm-hmm. where you can meet people from HR and try to get a job there, or you can meet the developers and try to pitch ideas. Definitely the best place to go. PAX to me, mm-hmm. close second. PAX is also good, especially if you're more in the indie scene. But like GDC, uh, whatever, even if even if someone you know isn't the right fit, they probably know someone who might be a better fit for you. Like yeah. the, they're there to help. Like and also the vibe at PAX is very open. Mm-hmm. Um, some other like if you go to E3, things are a little more guarded. Everyone's a little more buttoned up, a little more businessy. Yeah. And PAX, also, everyone's E3, there to just kind of have fun. Also, E3, everybody's got their schedule. Everybody's got yeah, you know, four days of just wall to wall. Got to do this. Got to do that. Got to do this. Whereas PAX is, tends to be a little more relaxed. PAX is a little more there for the people. Yeah. And GDC, I mean, GDC is a great place to do it if you can, if you have the ability to get to San Francisco and the financial means to get in. Yeah. Um, but PAX is a, is a good other option in the term, especially in the sense that PAX happens more places. Yep. And I think no matter which one you go to, even if you ignore us and go to some other one, find out where people are going drinking yeah. after the show. Just ask them, hey, you going out and having drinks or whatever? Or maybe there's party invites floating around mm-hmm. because that's really where you're going to crack your deal. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a cliche and it's, it's feels kind of hollow to say, hollow it, to say it, but it's like, it's who you know. It like is. You gotta, you gotta make some friends. And you'll make some friends if you're getting drunk with them. So yeah. I hate to say it, but that's just kind of the way the world works. So no matter where you go, do your business during the day and then try to find out where everyone's going at night and then show up and cross your fingers. Uh, a couple more. Uh, here's one from Vincent. I gotta answer Vincent because he works hard on our curation every freaking day. Uh, you talked about one up, one upping your own posts earlier. Do one ups actually affect the sifted algorithm? So. One-ups on Sifted do not affect what people see in their personal sifts, but it does affect how comments are displayed underneath articles, and it also affects what appears on the most popular page. So the most popular page, some of you guys might not even know it. Sam, flip over to the site and I'll show them. Some people don't even know that this exists, but there's a page called Popular, and it's basically just collects all the stuff where people are actually talking about stuff. So if you're just looking for conversation on Sifted, this is where you want to go. And the games are ranked on this page 
based upon a number of factors, uh, the number of comments, the number of one-ups, number of page views. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that goes into the algorithm that controls the most popular page. So if you're ever looking for a convo, that's where you want to go on Sifted instead of going all through your feed trying to find where people are actually, actually discussing stuff. So no, it does not affect the algorithm for the Sift. It does affect the algorithm for the most popular page. All right, one or two more. Oh, there's a bunch down here now. Uh, here's a good one. Well, we already answered one of his. Hmm. Uh, Mike's Q. What type of game would you play that starred Hugh Jackman? Yeah. And how many versions of him would be in it? <laughs> hmm. That's a really good question. So what you're saying is like <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, but with Hugh Jackman movies. Yeah. Starring Hugh Jackman. I think anything that would be E-rated starring Hugh Jackman. Because the Hugh Jackman to me, and I know it's not really him because he does like musicals and all this other stuff. But to me, he's Wolverine. Like he's right. this tough, like badass dude. So anything that would provide a, a contrast, a juxtaposition to his uh, on-screen persona, I think would be great. And I would do, I would say do a Wolverine game starring him, but he gets sucked through all these alternate dimensions in which Wolverine is... Hugh Jackman's other roles. So there's a there's a world in which he is in in, in which Wolverine is P.T. Barnum, and there's a, there's a there's a world in which Wolverine is uh, uh, his character from Les Mis, and there's a world where it's, it's like all of them. It's whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like every, everything everything Hugh Jackman's ever played is going to be in this game as different worlds that Wolverine has to travel through and deal with the fact that this is who he is in these other worlds. So to answer the Including question, how many one, versions of him would be in it? It just infinite. at least ten. <laughs> Including one that is our world in which he is a movie star named Hugh Jackman. I think I would just do a scene where he's on camera and then the, mm. the TV sitting next to him is of him on camera. Yeah. And then it just goes to that infinity thing where yeah. there's just he, just, until he just turns into one pixel. Well, then I would, see, I would want a big QTE sequence where, you, where, <laughs> where Wolverine and Hugh Jackman have to team up to stop a, uh, like a, a bomb plot by uh, Magneto or something at the Oscars. But they get mixed up, and he and Wolverine ends up being the one who ends up on stage to accept the Best Actor award, and so Wolverine has to make a Best Actor speech, <laughs> and you have to like do like a QTE to like make him not sound like an idiot. That's a good and idea. And not ruin Hugh Jackman's reputation in the real in our world. <laughs> I like it. I like you it. You can have that one for free, Neil Druckmann. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, here's Actually, a, here's... who has the Marvel? That would be Square. Square Square can use that. Square, Square is making the Marvel games. All right, here's a question that's a little more personal. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, Matt. Uh, from the one geo, a bit more personal, but how did you meet your wife or girlfriend, and how did you ask her out? Uh, I met her at a Transformers convention in 1998, but we didn't start dating until 2001. Yeah, you knew her for a long time before a while. we started actually dating. Yeah. You had kind of a long-distance thing going on for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked about this and Ask Shane anything before, so some of you guys already know this. I met my wife at church. <laughs> yeah, believe That's it or if not. You know him. Believe it or not, <laughs> I met my wife at church. Uh, I met her and then didn't, we actually didn't date for years and years after that. But, uh, yeah, that's where I, the first time I ever saw her was at church. Oh, how did you ask her out? That was the other part of the question. Um, we were kind of just hanging out already and eventually it was like, hey, I guess why don't we date? Anyway, it was, it, was, it, was not a, it was not a big monumental moment, really. Really? Kinda. You didn't have that moment where you just were like, let's, 
let's hang out, let's date. Not really. Let's be more than friends. I don't think so. Like, there's a moment where she's like, wait, do you like like me? I'm like, yeah. She's like, all right. <laughs> and I was like, oh. okay, that works. Um, I knew my, my wife for a long time. We never dated. And then one night we were at an underage drinking party. <laughs> And, uh, so wait, when is this? Yeah, How long old? time ago. It was yeah. like high school? Well, know? yeah, obviously I was underage. Yeah. So um, I was like 20, something like that, 21. That's and, not uh, underage. 21. Well, 21. I was like 20 or 21. And a lot of the people there were like a year or two younger oh, than me. Oh, so you were an accessory. You're, I did not buy the beer. I did not buy the, the liquor for this party. Uh, and my buddy's house had a pool. And we were all swimming in the pool. And she walked very close to the edge of the pool. And I grabbed her and I pulled her in. And then we kissed, and then I asked her out after that. There you go. Hmm. I think you just got to go for it. I think he's asking for advice. Like, how do you ask somebody out for the first time? You just go for it. First, you need a pool. Yeah, for, <laughs> and then you need alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> in a church. Yeah, and then in not, a church. Uh, I'm not going to make the joke that's in my head. <laughs> uh, uh, last one. Playland MX. Black Panther is out. Matt and Shane, are you going to see it, or have you already seen it? I saw it last night. You did? Yeah. So is it as good as the hype suggests? I would say it is. It is? I think wow. it's excellent. Is it my favorite Marvel Cinematic That's Universe That's the movie? hype. No. So it's not as good as the hype, then? It's real good. It's real freaking good. I mean, I, I probably still like the first Avengers more because it was a special thing to me, but this movie is a special thing to a lot of other people. Yeah. And you could tell last night, like, a ton, there was a much larger uh, black audience percentage of the audience than there were, have been at the other Marvel opening nights I've been to. Uh-huh. Uh, many of them were dressed in like full like reg- African regalia and oh, Black cool. Panther merch and wow. and everything. And um, as I was uh, and it was it was it looked, everybody looked, looked looked great. And as I, I went out to use the bathroom before it started, and I was walking out, this other this uh, other couple was coming in, and the the woman in the couple says says this is like magic. I wish my mom could see this. She'd be so proud. And I was like, it was, wow. it was almost like, wow, that's a thing. Like, this is a thing. It was, wow. a, it was an experience to, to be there and see that. And it was, it's a really good movie. I think it looks like nothing else. It's got like kind of that, you know, that. I mean, I was reading the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like they are glowing. Well, because it like it, talking about like, it breaks the formula in a really interesting way. Uh, you know, because Marvel does have kind of that sort of there's a house style, and it yeah. breaks that in a lot of places. It's not as quippy. As uh, the, as like something like Thor Ragnarok, obviously, but also like not not as quippy as your general Marvel movie. It feels more confident in in what you know. It only it doesn't you know that thing that Marvel movies like to do where they have like a serious moment and then they undercut it with a joke. Yeah. To keep everything pretty light. Yeah, yeah. This movie doesn't really do. It does it like once, and it does it in a really appropriate place. But it does it doesn't usually do that. Every character has a distinct point of view that makes sense, including the villain. Michael B. Michael, uh, B. Jordan is amazing as the villain. It's one of the best Marvel villains. I know that's not really saying a lot. Yeah. Um, but he's got a good. He's got a solid point of view. He has a. He has an argument that makes sense. And there's a couple moments where I'm like, yeah. Like I was like, yeah. I. I, I totally see this villain's point of view. And in that's fact, in fact, you might in places struggle to call him one in, wow. in, in some ways because he has a really so he's a sympathetic. Yeah, pretty damn good reason for doing what he's doing. Interesting. Um, but to, you know, T'Challa is great too. He's a good mirror to him, and and it's a it's a it's very self-contained. It doesn't rely on the rest of the Marvel universe to really, you know, prop it up or anything. It's just a really good story with really good characters, and I was uh, glad to see it. Like it's super solid. Super solid. That's not what. I like you describing the movie, 
that got me excited. But I mean, the reviews I was reading of this movie is like this transcendent, mm -hmm. like next level thing. Would you not agree with that? I think if you've been waiting to see yourself represented on screen, like a lot of these, you know, African Americans have been, like it may be. I mean, it's there's nothing else really like it. You don't spend over a hundred million dollars on an Afrofuturist superhero movie very often. Yeah, you know? that's true. Like yeah. it's it's the art design and this and everything is great. Like it's it's it doesn't necessarily look like other Marvel movies, even though. It fits, but it's its own thing. And like I and I and sure, you know, the characters are great. Characters are usually good in Marvel movies. But yeah. I'll tell you this much: I can't wait to see some of these characters interact with the other Marvel characters right. in like Infinity War. And yeah. Stuff. Like, yeah, you, yeah, we went. went well, they showed some and, scenes already. About oh yeah, that. but like you go home and you look up. You know, now that you know these characters. You look up uh, who's in Infinity War, and you're like, oh, awesome! It's gonna be great to see them and them and that. You know, it's, yeah. You know, I think one of the reasons the Marvel movies are so successful because people don't necessarily come back to see an interesting plot all the time. They come back to spend more time with these characters they love. Absolutely. And I think yeah. Black Panther not only nails that, but it also has, a, it has got like a James Bond element to it. It's got a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got a, like a family element to it and themes of like, you know, of self-identity. Like there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of meat to it. And I think uh, that's what people are saying. I dig, it's, I, it's a meteor Marvel yeah. film. It's got a, it's got a brain to. in its head in a way that a lot of the other Marvel movies just want to have a good time. Right. You know? Uh, and I appreciate that, like, it shows there's room for a more thoughtful Marvel film that is still a crowd pleaser and is still, uh, you know, a slam bang action picture with a lot of cool moments. But it also means something in the end. It has something it has to heart. say about it. Yeah. There you go. There's a, there's a couple. There's a couple of killers in this one. Like, there's some 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 moments. Am I gonna go see it? Probably not. For me to go see it, I don't go to see hardly any movies in the theater anymore. In fact, I just watched, finally. Blade Runner 2049. Mm. Watched it in 3D, no less, which was a total waste of time. It really did nothing extra in 3D. Love that movie, though. It, mm. Amazing. The soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks ever. Yeah, I, it's much better when it's not trying to make you deaf. Yeah. The, like the, the... Oh, I had it cranked up, believe me. Well, no, the, <laughs> when I saw it, I saw it in the theater, and, and they had it turned too high. And, like, like, when, and like the high pitch, like the high-end stuff yeah. was, like, making the speakers crackle uh, and, and warble. Bad. And I was that's like, that's, and, like, the, like, half the audience had their hands over their ears during the loud parts. And yeah. I'm like, that's not supposed to happen. Like, it was painful. It was painful yeah. to listen to. For Matt, Matt would have had to have, like, jumped up out of his seat and gone crazy for me to go see... Black Panther in a theater. Um, I, just I don't, don't know. know. I'm, I'm not in a jump out of my seat place these days. I'm not so. in the, like, I need to find something to do on Friday or Saturday night so I can go on a mm -hmm. date stage of my life anymore. And my wife say, is more than happy to sit on the couch and watch movies. So. I, would, I mean, look, if you miss Blade Runner, clearly this is not your priority. But I would definitely not want to have missed Black Panther on the big screen. Okay. Like, it's it's a big screen movie. You want to see those shots of Wakanda. Well, it's good you said that, because obviously a lot of people yeah. that are watching are like to go to the movies more than mm -hmm. I do, and so they're it look, pretty it's, much it's, a glowing It's a great-looking movie, There's, and like I, you know, I, I'm glad I saw this on the big screen to see all this stuff in front of me, and like, you know, larger than life and everything. It's very cool. Right on. It's a, it's a beautifully shot movie. It's a, The cinematography is very nice. It's not as good as Blade Runner, maybe, because Blade Runner was just, I thought, just Sublime. beautiful. <laughs> it really was. Um, but, I mean, uh, Vienov just, that's... He and his team do that all the time. Yeah. Arrival was like that, too. But, uh, no, I, I give huge thumbs up to, to Black Panther. And, and I'm, I'm curious if, uh, I mean, the money it's making is crazy. And right now I'm like, can Infinity War match Black Panther at the box office? Wow. Like, I mean, just at the box office. Yeah. I mean, Infinity, I mean, Infinity War... It will. It Infinity War, I would will. say, actually has a stronger yeah. challenge in front of it because you got to make Thanos interesting. But he's, right, but he's going to be in it. Infinity. Right. I mean. Oh yeah, but my my point is that 
I've been reading comics my whole life. I've read a lot of Thanos stuff, including Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War. And Thanos is boring. He is. Thanos is I, not like an interesting a really character. Bad villain, you're right. And he always de- he always defeats himself because he's so powerful. Basically, he always like kind of has gets tricked or tricked or. <laughs> and in fact, there's I think at one point they even admitted like or Thanos admitted or somebody dug into his mind or something. Like basically, he always sabotages himself because he knows he'll never be accepted by death because he's doing everything to impress death because he wa- he's right. He's in love with death, who's personified by a very attractive female body in a robe with a skull face. Okay, <laughs> sure, why not? Um, but like the, in the trailer for this, it looks like they're kind of doing up Thanos a little more like Apocalypse, yeah. who you know, since they totally blew Apocalypse in the actually X Men Apocalypse movie, like sure, why not? You know, this they didn't really like, blow him, by the way. No, like hell, that would have been more interesting. <laughs> Um, the uh, you know the idea of like him kind of being this all powerful guy kind of stands there and makes like pronouncements yeah, while, and gestures yeah. and you know like like I miss the old apocalypse of the old cartoon where he's just like I am the rocks of the eternal shore crash against me and be broken you know and like and like yeah if I can get Oscar Isaac up there saying that like come on, that's great that's 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 classic villain stuff so if you can get Thanos like because Thanos has a line in the trailer where it's something like you know you will know what it's like to like be so sure of your rightness and still lose and yeah. stuff. Like that's awesome. Like, yeah. like if you can make Thanos interesting and also make the defeat of Thanos like not feel like a total cop out, like that's a giant challenge. I mean, I think the Russo brothers are probably up to it, but like I think Infinity War has a lot more of its work cut out for it because it not only has to do that, and then it has to get like fifty characters in there and not make it feel like a cheap parade, you know? Yeah, you're right. Whereas Black Panther had to tell a story about some really cool characters in a really cool location doing a really interesting thing. I'm not saying it'll be better. I'm just saying it'll do fine. Sales. Oh, I think it'll do fine, but like, I mean, Black Panthers, last night it made like $25 million, and the last previous February record for a Thursday preview night was Deadpool, and that was $12 million. Wow. This thing's going to make 200 wow. plus over the That's opening great. weekend, and it's, it's, it's a huge, going to be a huge thing. Get ready for Black Panther 2 and 3. That's for sure. They're coming. All right, so that's going to wrap up Game Face 117. And it seems our trackcaster made it all the way to the end of the show. Hooray, unless that skip at the beginning means that nothing got recorded. That would really suck. Yeah. <laughs> because while we were watching the trailer of the week, Sam said that there was a moment early in the show where everything kind of froze for a second. He had like a heart attack. So we'll see. We'll see. You may be, again, the more only and people more ever see to this. tune into the live version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. Um, yeah, don't forget about the brand new show coming Monday or Tuesday. Would really, really appreciate it if you guys could get involved and call into the show and be a part of it because people are going to watch the first couple episodes, and if they don't like it, they're not going to watch it again. Uh, so hopefully you guys will be on board Monday or Tuesday night to join the stream and join in the discussion. So with that, we have Matt, Shane, and Sam. Game faces up and out. <laughs>